I guess, you know, it's almost fitting, Jake. Tomorrow we'll be out at the state fair, and, you know, I could probably just buy some popcorn, get my popcorn ready, and sit back and watch Jim Irsay and Jonathan Taylor's agent go back and forth. We're going to be at the dairy bar, and this is a story we're going to milk for a while, right? <laughs> Boy, um, where there's smoke, there's fire. That was a popular comment that I was trying to make yesterday on the show. I, it Just something smelled fishy with this Jonathan Taylor contract situation, and my you know, 12 years covering the team. It's, I don't remember many contract situations playing out in a very public manner. And last night, we certainly got it, even if that wasn't necessarily Jim Mersey's intention. Uh, but Jim Mersey's got to be smarter than that and realize, read the room, I think, a little bit better there. Um, and last night, we had a tweet from Jim Mersey referencing the running back market and his opinion on that. And then Jonathan Taylor's agent decided to fire back at Jim Mersey. And here we go. Uh, that now becomes the storyline of the first day of camp. It's not Shaquille Leonard taking a very important step forward. It's not Gardner Minshew taking every single starting rep. It is arguably your best player and his agent and the owner of your football team in a bit of a public feud. Kevin, here is the thing about professional sports. And good morning, everybody, by the way. on a, It is a Thursday, right? And we are going to be at the Indiana State Fair Dairy Bar tomorrow from 7 until 10 as the State Fair gets underway. And as that is Kevin Bowen's voice you just heard. My name is Jake Query. Um, as Kevin had mentioned, this is going to be the big story over the course of the day. Uh, but it's going to be very hot outside, by the way, so be careful. It's already very warm and sticky outside this Glass morning. Glass is fogged up walking um, to the car. <laughs> it's a little, little sticky. Kevin, when it comes to professional sports, contracts and the business of it is a lot like politics. I think by and large, and there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part with sports, people's entire thing is this, for the most part, I'm not, I'm generalizing, which is maybe dangerous, but I think most people would agree with me here. Most people say, listen, I want to enjoy the pizza. I'm not overly concerned with how the pizza's made. Just make me a really good pizza. When I go to Basbo, I sit down. When I go to Lumonati's, I sit down. When I go to, you know, wherever it may be, I sit down. I order a pizza. I don't go back in the kitchen to watch how it's made. I just know that those are my favorite pizza places, so that's where I go to enjoy a good pizza. And while certainly when it comes to sports, people have an interest in what players are going to be there or what aren't, how they are acquired, accumulated, and maintained, people aren't as interested in in terms of the nuances of it. I think most fans think to themselves, look, I realize that players are going to have contract issues and holdouts and whatever else. You guys figure it out. Don't air it to me. Don't bring it to me. I, I don't want to hear about it. I'm worried about the final product. I'm not worried about how you resolve how it happens. And I think Jim Irsay kind of overstepped a little bit yesterday, Kevin, because he he did two things that were dangerous. The first is he essentially discredited a position – both on the field position and a a platform, a spoken platform of a player on his roster. From a free agency standpoint and other players looking at it and that kind of thing, that becomes a little bit dangerous. Number two, he 
he just put a ton of pressure on his general manager to, you know, by increasing the spotlight and turning up the wick on the amount of attention about his the situation with his running back, which means that he is meddling, which is something that he has always claimed he does not want to do. But most importantly, Jim Mersey made public a the fact that I, I think most people would look at it, and Jonathan Taylor has been one of the most likable players on the roster and seemingly one of the real good soldiers. So when you now all of a sudden are coming out and basically calling him out and or discrediting his stance on trying to get paid, it's a bad look. There's no other way to say it than it's a bad look. And what Jim Mersey needs to realize, people in this town care about his football team, but when it comes to the inner workings behind closed doors of pushing paper across the desk to one another, they don't care about that, quite frankly. And I think, I think quite frankly, Kevin, it, it's probably 50-50. I think in terms of a contract standoff, I think 50% probably would agree with Jonathan Taylor and 50% would agree with the Colts. But 100% or, or close to it would agree, but don't air out public laundry in front of me. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, the reaction of guys in that locker room, I, I'd be very interested to see how they reacted to that. I do think it's relevant to bring up Malki Kawa, who is Jonathan Taylor's agent. This is not a mega agent in the NFL by any means. He does represent Shaquille Leonard. Um, outside of that, you are not going to find a long list of Pro Bowl elite players. Um, I know there are some, he, he comes a little bit from kind of the MMA background. I know there are some in that world that we're not too fond of his actions there. So you're dealing with a little bit different character than you typically deal with from an agency standpoint. And I bring that up, and this is something that I said yesterday. I think it's worth repeating. You know, two years ago, Shaquille Leonard did not open up camp on the physically unable to perform list, but he missed the first 10 days of camp due to recovery from an ankle injury, I guess. Shaquille Leonard put pen to paper on a contract on August 7th, and on August 10th, he was back to practice. Is that what we're seeing with Jonathan Taylor? I think in the end, Jonathan Taylor's going to end up, they're going to get something done, and we're going to go, yeah, that was all about nothing. We made a big deal about it. So he is holding out right now. This is not injury-related, because it is a high ankle sprain that they debated having surgery on or rest on. I think you talk to anybody in the medical field, they would say a high ankle sprain does not take more than six months to recover from. Quiddy Pay, high ankle sprain last year, was back out in the spring, um, back on the practice field during the spring. But in terms so, of a holdout, Kevin, the, the team had to put him on pup, right? He failed a physical. Obviously, if Taylor wanted to, I'm sure he could have shown some limitations in trying to pass said physical. Do you think so? I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm saying... Yeah, you, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much could, into could it, it, but... I mean, I would think the physical comes down to the the doctor's opinion. Right, but obviously Taylor is doing some sort of physical activity to pass said physical. It seemingly happened two years ago with one of Kawa's agent or one of Kawa's clients. Is it happening here? Again, Taylor doesn't strike me as that guy, but Jake, I just think it's a relevant question you have to ask. I, this is a high ankle sprain. This is not a torn ACL. This is not a torn Achilles. Right. Jonathan Taylor, back in January, the debate was, we don't know if he will even need surgery. And now we're more than six months removed from this and he still is not full go? When Jim Ursay said a few weeks ago he was healed up? 
It, it just it does not add up. Again, Jonathan Taylor remains on the physically unable to perform list. The expectation is he will not meet the media until he is removed from that list. Shane and, and by Steichen, the way, that part's totally weak. Uh, Jonathan Taylor seemingly is a nice guy, but but what do I always say, Kevin? We don't know these guys. I don't think he's a bad dude. Don't get me wrong, but like we just assume, like, well, he's a super nice guy. He's going, but I'm sorry. Like, part of why do guys get paid a lot of money? They get paid a lot of money because they perform a unique skill that is consumed and and has interest from the general public. So based on that, there is some sort of an obligation to at least meet the minimum threshold of keeping the general public aware of where you're coming from because that's your customer base. Those are your customers. If you go to a restaurant and you have questions about the meal and you ask to speak to the manager, the manager owes it to you to come out and speak to you. He doesn't owe it to us, the media. He owes it to the fans to be able to explain where he's coming from because these are people that you are asking to pay a lot of their hard-earned money to come see you perform. Yeah, I don't have as big of an issue of it there. I, I think guys typically that are injured, I can't recall anybody ever on the pup list speaking to the media. Now, granted, but but as you just said, he's not injured. He's on the pup list as a holdout. Again, that's me offering a little bit of no. I, I get what I'm saying, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like guess he, on that, I, I I don't know. Maybe I, I don't. Know, maybe he had a setback. Maybe maybe he is legitimately injured. I'm just saying there's past precedent here with this agent that there have been some questions about guys sitting out and then boom once they put pen to paper on a contract extension they're back to practice one thing i will say about the ursay tweet and for those that missed it last night jim ursay firing this off nfl running back situation we have negotiated a cba that took years of effort and hard work and compromise and good faith by both sides to say now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate some agents are selling, and he puts this in quotes, bad faith. Jake, should he have tweeted it? Probably not. But he ain't wrong with that tweet. He's not wrong at all. He's, it, not, he's not wrong, Kevin, except for the fact that it's a bad look, and in particular, it's a bad look for his employee. Without to, question. To his employees. Without, it is a bad look, and all of that, it shouldn't, you don't air the dirty laundry in, in public. I agree with all of that. But if that is how Jim Mersey feels, this comes back to the root of the running back argument that I've tried to make for the past several months and hell, probably several years. Don't draft a running back in round two. Because if this guy has great success like Taylor has, you're going to get here. Correct. You're going to get here where at year three, you now are questioning whether this guy can be a part of your football team for the next whatever, three to four years. Well, You draft people in the second round to be pillar players, to be side of Lucas Oil Stadium, to be guys that are six, eight year, hopefully 10 year players for you. Running backs aren't that. So the root of this issue all stems back from Chris Ballard's wrong roster building process and when Taylor sits there and says hey you guys have paid quality players and re-signed them again that's where a lot of this stems from the Colts have paid a guard they've paid a linebacker when you do that you're gonna have a running back sit here and say why not me so the Colts it's a little bit of you've kind of created this bed for yourself and how you've drafted how you've handed out contracts now you've got a player that you could make the argument, probably outside of Nelson, has been better than Leonard, better than Braden Smith through those early years. Now it's his time to say, pay me 
in this situation. So all of this, to me, stems back to that. Mike Bostic made a really good point on Twitter, and I agree with him. Didn't the Colts tell us they're different? And I, I realized it was a previous coach and previous kind of approach, but it was the same general manager. Weren't we told when they drafted Quentin Nelson it was because they were going to run the damn ball? Weren't they going to win in the trenches? And now when you have the guy that allows you to do what you were hanging your hat on, literally because they had hats that said run the damn ball, when you when you have the guy that that is the face of that exact movement, now you're telling him, look, we already had an agreed upon nature essentially of what the the market value was. Well, you told me that the market – the Colts preached to anybody that would listen that when it came to running the football and that strategy, that their approach and their value of that position was different than every other team in the league. So then when it comes down to it, while you may be right, it looks contradictory to then come out and say, well, we realize that – you play a position that you think has value, but we've already determined the rest of the league has created the market value, and that's what we're sticking with. But wait a minute. You just got done selling me and selling T-shirts and hats and an entire marketing campaign that it was different here. If I'm Taylor, that's absolutely what I'm hanging my hat on. I just think when it comes down to it, Kevin, those things from an ownership standpoint – I think people Jim Mercer is a wonderful human being and a philanthropic and fun guy. Don't get me wrong. There are there are a ton of areas where people want to hear from Jim Mercer. People want to hear about his band. People want to hear about his collection. People want to hear about his charitable things. People want to hear about him calling out Daniel Snyder. They love all of that. They don't want to hear him calling out his players. Period. We're going to move on to some day one takeaways. I should probably turn on my mic here. We're going to move on to some day one takeaways from training camp here in just a second. Jake uh, had a, by all accounts, a terrific interview yesterday with Dwight Freeney. Um, we're going to play that coming up here in a little bit as well. Um, but I do think something to also point out about Ursay's tweet last night. Yesterday, you had... Najee Harris was probably the most vocal of running backs around the league, but Najee Harris, the Pittsburgh running back, he, you know, met the media in Pittsburgh and was a little bit more direct in pointing to the franchise tag and pointing to some of the league-wide items in this. I do think that is worth pointing out in that Ursay could be responding to that and not necessarily directly to Taylor. Now, again, read the room. You got to know what's happening in your own building. Clearly, Taylor's having issues, and his agent certainly looked at Ursay's tweet and felt the need to respond to that. But I bring that up to say this, Jake. Last October, what did Jim Ursay do around the NFL? That we said, boy, an owner to do that? Man, that's quite the stance. Other than the, I can't remember the timetable on the Snyder situation. Yeah. He went after Daniel Snyder yeah. in a very public manner. I think this is another example of Jim Mercey defending the shield. This is another example of Jim Mercey wanting to make sure that he is showing his stewardship to NFL owners. And this is him looking at himself in a box that is bigger than just Colts ownership. And I think that's what this this tweet is. It's saying, NFL owners, if none of you are going to say it publicly, watch this. 
I'm going to defend us. Running backs are talking like none other right now. Running backs are on social media. Running backs are meeting the media. They're ripping the franchise tag. They're they're trying to attack us. Well, I'm going to throw my hat into the ring. I think that's what this is. Now, again, he's got to read the room and realize his own player is one that's doing it as well. But I think to provide a little bit more of what I believe is some context around this situation, I do think there's an element of Jim Irsay saying to the league with this tweet, hey, tough luck. You guys collectively bargained this, which, again, I agree with He's not wrong. I agree with that. He is not wrong, and I think that's where some of this stems from. But, but Kevin, what what concerns me, and I think what should concern Colts fans, and and, and probably the odds are very high – that this amounts to zero zip nada, right? But what would concern me is the following, and that is I'm going to use an analogy that, that doesn't apply probably, hopefully, ever at all, okay? But let's just say that, like, our bosses started coming down on some sort of negotiations of days off for those of us that are on the air here at this radio station. Oh, jeez. Okay? Now you got me sweating here. And let's say JMV or Jimmy Cook got into like some sort of a squabble about like a day off that they were being charged for or whatever. I would stand up for Jimmy Cook or JMV eight days a week because – that's the brethren with which I'm a part of as a part of the team of this company. Having nothing to do, again, I don't want to set some dangerous precedent. I mean, I have no issue with our – we're treated very well here, and we're very fortunate to have these jobs. I'm just saying if that were to – that would never present itself, but if it was. I think that when you work in a business, whether you're an accountant and – you know, you're owned by a hedge fund company and, and somebody in your department is under some sort of, you know, you, you band together. I do think that players within the locker room who I think all like and appreciate Jim Irsay a great deal, the more outspoken and vociferous that he is about standing up against players trying to get theirs is going to be a bad look for him mm-hmm. because players yeah. are going to side with their teammate. 1,000%. It's a dangerous, slippery slope for him. And I would love two cameras. I'd love a camera on Jonathan Taylor seeing that tweet, and I'd love a camera on Chris Ballard. Ballard in particular I feel bad for. I mean, Ballard's reaction's got to be like, are you bleeping kidding me? Especially when Ballard, this is the position. Like, here's the thing if you're Chris Ballard. If I'm Chris Ballard, I'm particularly uncomfortable because Ursay just neutered the entire platform of the way that I have built my roster for the first half of my – well – up until now, for the entirety of my time here. Yeah, totally contradicts taking a running back in the second round. Totally. 100%. And, and to be fair to Ballard, Ballard and Taylor, I thought Jake were handling things pretty in a, in a pretty civil manner. I mean, they had some you know public comments about it, but none of it was to this level. And now, all of a sudden, you get Ursay, you get the agent involved, and let the fireworks Kevin, begin. I've never had an agent, okay? There would be no reason for me to. But, but I've had someone that legally represents like my contracts and whenever my contracts have come up I guess you would say it's an agent so to speak but I always and it has not been the case at this job it has not but in past jobs that I've had when I went through contract cycles 
I remember saying to my general manager, hey, you've got to call Dan and talk to him about that. Like, because, and, and then, you know, he, he knows what I would like to see changed. Because I didn't want to impact my relationship in the building or in the hallway with the people that I was working for. I didn't want there to be some personal face-to-face ill will or, temp, you know, voice raising or whatever else. So that's why you have representation to a great extent. When you have the owner putting that out there and then your agent publicly replying to it, now all of a sudden, that's why you have an agent, don't get me wrong, but when they take it into public forum, it just changes the total dynamic where the player now becomes like a pawn, and it's tough for them not to be resentful over that. And for those that missed it, again, Malki Kawa, Taylor's agent's response to Ursay was, bad faith is not paying your top offensive player. Uh, We'll continue this conversation throughout the show, of course. As we mentioned, we'll get into day one takeaways. I think unquestionably the biggest positive has to be the amount of work that Shaquille Leonard did on the practice field yesterday. But coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, Jake, again, you caught up with Dwight Freeney yesterday. Um, How'd that go? Uh, He was great. Uh, Dwight Freeney is, and there will be more coming out about this um, in a couple of weeks, I would anticipate. But he was back in Indiana because he is now – partnered with the Indiana Donor Network and Donate Life Indiana. He has taken on a new initiative in his retirement. Um, But he's not a guy that we hear a lot from. He was in the building yesterday, and so I was able to catch up to him. And we talked about everything from the injury that he had and how he can relate to what Shaquille Leonard might be going through and what psychologically Shaquille Leonard might be going through to his impressions of this version of the Colts to – um, his memories of being a Colt and the guys he talks to the most frequently and his time in Indianapolis. He was great. He was super cool. You know, I said this to you yesterday, Jake, when we were talking about it. I'm like, I wish we heard more from Freeney. He's great. I mean, he, he's a super friendly guy, man. I, I think agree. he's really enlightening, and, and I enjoy I mean, I've kind of been like, hey, should he get into a little bit more of the media world here? But I think he's enjoying playing a lot of golf. Um and so I know he's got a couple young kids as well. Uh, so we'll play that coming up here in a little bit. Again, good Thursday morning to you. To say it is humid walking to the car <laughs> this morning would be the biggest understatement in the world. Uh, no practice today for the Colts. They will be back at it tomorrow morning, Saturday night. Both of those are sold out. And then next week is their busiest week of uh, Colts camp. It's a Monday Tuesday, Thursday, I think Saturday and Sunday. So pretty crowded next week up there at Grand Park. But we'll talk all about yesterday's day one practice, more on the Jonathan Taylor situation. Again, Dwight Freeney coming up here in a bit. I'm Kevin Bowen. He is Jake Query. We've got Graham on the ones and twos today in for Mark Dykton. It'll be Sam Fritz tomorrow. So, Graham, thank you for that. You're listening to Kevin Query right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, Jake, it was late last night. The U.S. women's national team tying the Netherlands 1-1. Lindsay Horan with a goal in the second half. It was actually a pretty heated moment there. Her and her club teammate who plays for the Netherlands kind of got into it. Next thing you know, header in the back of the net by Horan. Uh, important. That was the first time. I couldn't believe the stat. The first time the U.S. women's national team had been down in a World Cup match in 17 straight games. So basically what that means is this. They're going to play Portugal coming up 
early, early Tuesday morning. If they win or tied, they will advance out of their group. Again, the Netherlands are supposed to be one of the better teams in this tournament, so I don't think the tie was the most shocking thing in the world. Um, but yeah, a little bit of adversity for the U.S. women's national team. Again, Portugal, right? Is that Portugal, next? that is yeah. the final group stage game, yes. Uh, no Colts practice today, by the way, but we will be back out there. Again, we are going to be at the Indiana State Fair tomorrow. So Monday and Tuesday, back out at Colts camp. Practice resuming tomorrow, though, for the horseshoe. Yesterday, Major League Baseball, it was the Brewers over the Reds, 3 nothing. That's the last time those two play until the National League Championship Series, right? Boy, you hope the Reds make it. <laughs> I felt like that was a nail in the coffin. Is that pessimistic? Yeah, it's a little early for the nail in the coffin, right? Although usually we're used to that like around tax day, so that's good. <laughs> they that's just can't be. I mean, three I, and ten against them. I know. Uh, Cardinals over the Diamondbacks yesterday, 11-7. It was the Pirates over the Padres, 3-2. Guardians, 8-3 over Kansas City. Interleague play. Cubs over the White Sox, 10-7 yesterday. It was the Phillies over Cutefellas, 6-4. Red Sox over the Braves, 5-3. Yankees over the Mets, 3-1. And in the International League, the Indianapolis Indians and a gentleman special, 6-5 winners over the Louisville bats yesterday jake query caught up with dwight freeney he was in our own building we will play that on the other side obviously a lot of jonathan taylor talk to get to in the eight o'clock hour day one takeaways from colt's training camp but on the other side it'll be dwight freeney here kevin and query 93.5 107.5 the fan it's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan 22 minutes before the hour of eight o'clock mentioned it earlier in the program but yesterday kevin was at colt's camp Dwight Freeney was actually in the building here. He is, and you will hear more about this in the next couple of weeks, but he was back in town because he has partnered up with uh, an initiative that I think is important to him with the Indiana Donor Network and Donate Life Indiana. You hear them involved with a lot of JMV's radio broadcasts, and a, a fabulous organization kind of speaks for itself. But you'll hear more about Dwight Freeney's relationship and new partnership with them. But uh, when I got wind that Dwight Freeney was in town, I figured, you know what? I think people would like to hear from a guy that was obviously the master of the sack for the Colts for many years, including in their Super Bowl championship team. And so I sat down with him yesterday, and here is how that conversation began. Dwight, it's always good to see you back. You look like you could play tomorrow. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me back. I, I got about one play for you. It's, it's, <laughs> called, it's called a hamstring, all right, and a, and a, and a, and a bum knee. So you have, you've been out for, what, six years now? Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to this. This time of year, I mean, it's a perfect time to talk to you because, you know, up in Grand Park in Westfield, there are 50, 75, 80 guys all with the same dream of making it in the NFL. What is the mindset for an NFL player of this week, of when training camp begins, whether you are a rookie or whether you are an established veteran? What was your mindset? I think it's different for all those different categories that you named. If you're a rookie, all right, you have tremendous amount of anxiety because you don't know what you're walking into. You have tremendous amount of stress because you don't know what you're walking into. Um, but you have a lot of like energy and just like you want to win the Super Bowl, get a four sack game. All in one training camp day, um, just because your adrenaline is pumping like that. So I think for that rookie whose eyes are going to be wide and he's going to be so excited that he gets an opportunity to make a NFL team and hopefully eventually do something great in this league, it's a, it's a lot going on there. If you're, if you're a veteran, 
It's more like, okay, let's get back on this bike and make sure that my workout in the off season, it, you know, it, it did me right. Make sure that I know what we're doing this year, this season, and move on through that one day at a time. You know, it's interesting because the Colts are in a position right now that really you never experienced. I'm in a rebuild, so to speak. Yeah. You know, you, you obviously were on great teams here. How much do you pay attention to them? How much do you follow where they are and what they're trying to do? I, fo- I follow. Uh, I followed more, um, I think, last year a little bit because it was one of our former teammates, Jeff Saturday, at the helm. And um, I just wanted to see him succeed. Um, but I, I'm constantly checking in on the Colts. Obviously, that is... You know the second home, the the team that I identify with the most, um, and it's like an extended family. All those guys that are there and still there in the building. Um, so I'm always rooting the Colts on, and I, I always pay attention to a certain extent. When you look back on your tenure here, you know obviously you won a Super Bowl. You know you 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 were a part of two Super Bowl teams. You were on great teams, some of which. You know, I mean, obviously, there's the discussion that can go on forever about pulling the starters and missing out on an undefeated season and all those things. When you look back on your time as a Colt, do you focus more on the things you accomplished or the things that were misses? Well, that's a good question. I I think it 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 kind of varies, man. It's just it's just one of those things where when you see any team, sports team, win a championship, which happens every year every season, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, it automatically brings you back to your moment of when you won. All right. And I think that's more for me, that feeling that I feel more because I feel that I, 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 I just go back like a time machine in that moment when I see those guys crying or hugging other teammates. So you, you feel that exact. I feel that moment Correct. happen again, which is priceless for me. You know, it's absolutely probably that just you get that little shining light that just comes back um, that will never be taken from me. Now, there are other things that I think about, you know, all the years that we felt like this was the year. Okay, you know, arguably the one of the best teams we had was in 2005. I think most people... Most guys I've talked to feel that was the... You're talking about the Steeler year, right? Yes. Most people feel that was the one. That year... We we were, uh, I mean, from all phases, we felt like there was no team out there that can stop us. Um, and unfortunately, maybe it was the break. Maybe it was that first round by. Maybe it was that momentum. Uh, maybe it was resting players. Whatever it was, it stopped the mojo just enough to where is though we lose that game. When, when you're a great player, Dwight Freeney's our guest, when you're a great player or you're on a great team and all of a sudden you find yourself in that situation, did you almost start playing against yourself in that game with Pittsburgh? In other words, were you like a fan where you're looking at the clock like this isn't really happening, right? Well, I think you're, you, as a player, you have tunnel vision. I think you live in each individual moment as it happens. You know, you don't want to look too far back and you don't want to look too far in the future. Um, And I can tell you that that's from a defensive perspective. It was always every play. It mattered. It it, it wasn't even more. It wasn't more stress. It it wasn't like 
oh, I really have to get to the quarterback now. I always have to really get to the quarterback. And it always have to make the play. That was the mentality. Um, that game, until it was over, it was kind of in our minds, we have to win this game and we can win this game. And we missed the field goal to win the game. You know, so there was no moment where we had anxiety or stress in from from my perspective to where as though I didn't think we weren't going to win this game. I felt like every single moment we were going to win this game somehow, some way, and we didn't. You know, you are an interesting case because you know, you're the best defensive end. Well, you were Robert. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we could probably sit here in Boardwalk and Park Place that until the cows come mm-hmm. home. But in the Indianapolis Colts era, certainly one of two, if not the best defensive end that's played here. And the spin move was so much of that. I think we live in a world, Dwight, today where people are specifying their kids' athletics. What was your favorite sport growing up? I I loved it all. and Because and you played three or I, four, right? I, I loved them all. All, and I really mean that. And I don't know if I, I can say football was my favorite. I played football with the guys in the backyard or in front of the street, just kind of just doing our thing. All right, Two-hand touch, sideline crack, whatever you want to call it, that's what we did from a football perspective. Loved the game, but never played organized football really until I was in high school. All right, but it didn't take away from the love of the game. I cried when Lawrence Taylor retired. I was a huge Giants fan. I loved basketball. I was a big Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls fan. I loved the Mets. Still have a Mets hat on. I was a big Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry fan growing up. I loved all sports. So for like with my buddies, for example, we would play backyard sports depending on the season. In the summertime, we're playing home run derby all summer. In the in the fall, we're playing backyard football with a Nerf football, and and then in the winter time, we're going to an open gym somewhere. Same thing for you, I assume, right? A- absolutely, and and I always tell parents, you know, now um, because it, it kind of they put these kids in just one sport. And they that's where they focus on and say, you're going to be a baseball player and that's it, or a football player and that's it. But for me, I learned so much from being in different sports, certain sports that, you know, you may think had nothing to do with football, you know, maybe hand-eye coordination. Like, could soccer. your spin move have been born in a different sport? Well, it actually was born in another sport. My spin move was born on the basketball court. I was a big and one mixtape guy back in the day. I used to love it. And, it, and when you watch the and one mixtapes, it was guys doing exotic moves on the basketball court, going through your legs and traveling 99% so of the time. So you were skipped to Malou is what you're yeah, saying, Yeah, I was right? skipped to Malou, yeah. and I was going out doing my thing you know, as a basketball player back in the day. And it happened to be on a football field where I'm next to one of my um, teammates, and we're going through practice, and I said, you know what? I want to try to do the craziest way to get to the to the quarterback. Just something that just completely makes the offensive tackle just fall all over himself. No different than a killer crossover, crazy move on the basketball court. So I end up adopting certain things and saying, well, hmm, maybe I can flip. No, I can't flip. How about a spin? And I started spinning and making the offensive tackle just fall all over himself and couldn't block me. So it was probably the best way I can make him look as silly as possible blocking me. That's where it started on the football field, but it actually 
really started from watching basketball being a basketball player and knowing what that whole life was about. And no one could figure it out. I mean, your entire career, no one figured out how to to guard it. Yeah, well, I think it was, first of all, no one was doing it, okay? It wasn't like I learned it somewhere. It isn't like I watched film and said, oh, I'm going to do this move. This is something that was unique to me, authentic to me, organic to me. So I went out, and it was natural, okay? So therefore, for me to do something natural like that for from since high school going all the way into the pros and the pro guys never saw the move. All right. And they're like, how do we block this move? Because that was taught never to turn your back to the quarterback. It was outlawed as something that you should never do unless you get stuck. And if you get stuck, then you kind of like, you know, maybe you counter back and, and try to spin off a guy, but it wasn't used as a primary move the way that I've used it. Now I see it all over the place where I know I can smile. I know I left my name on the game. Yeah, now it's called the Dwight Freeney, yeah, not the Skip yeah, to Malou, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. hopefully, man, but you know, for me, it's, I know I left my mark on the game, but I knew how it evolved at every year. I try to do different types of versions of it and it would be all predicated on what the offensive tackle was doing and how and predicated on speed around the corner and when i got older and when i couldn't have the, i didn't have the same type of speed i would it would be based on power you had a situation in your playing cl- career uh, i think it was the first time i ever heard i never know if it's liz frank or liz frock Yep. Uh, I thought it was a girl I went to high school with. Right? <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, it's it's obviously the foot injury. You had it. Yep. You went through it. Um, what is the, if you had to guess, based on your experience, psychologically, what is Shaquille Leonard going through right now? To try to, when you know that a defense counts on you and you want to be on the field and people are counting on you and you're it's a waiting game. It's tough, um, especially for a player like him, if he was anything like me. I wanted to play. I wanted to be a part of this team, and I always wanted to be out in that field, no matter whether it be practice or what have you, because I knew I was an important part of the team, but I just loved it that much. All right. But the thing is, you can't go out there too soon. If you go out there too soon, you're going to end up hurting yourself again, or you're going to put a bad representation of yourself out there, who what isn't you, and you're going to be very frustrated with yourself. So it's a patient game that you have to wait and wait until things heal up correctly to where you truly feel yourself. All right. And that's different for every guy and and every injury is different. Former Colt you talk to the most often. Hmm. I would say Raheem Brock. Really? Raheem Brock was underrated player, by the way, very underrated. He was a versatile guy who could play D tackle and defensive end um, and did everything that, you know, anyone wanted him to do. Guy in your locker room that was kind of more of the leader than people would anticipate. People would obviously say, oh, well, Peyton Manning or Jeff Saturday, but the, the guy that you're like, you know what? That guy was a huge part of what we did. I think um, Tariq Glenn was huge. I think Tariq Glenn was a big leader on the offensive line. He was a guy, he was a quiet leader. Um, Reggie Wayne was also a, a big leader, you know, from the offensive side of the ball. 
Um, you know, there was a lot of guys out there. Bob Sanders was a leader, uh, uh, you know, and and even even you got guys like Gary Bracker, who was a captain uh, of our defense uh, so many years. So there's a lot of guys, you know, that were big time leaders. Okay, last couple things. Uh, do you talk to Bob Sanders because he's like the world's greatest enigma? Yeah, I hadn't seen him. I only time I see him. Last time I saw him was when I got the ring on, went right. to the ring of honor. He is, but I know he's somewhere in California, and I know he's trying to work on his golf game. That's why. That's why I heard. Okay, so and I under you were a pretty good golfer, if I'm not mistaken. You golfed a fair amount when you were here, but you are now. Let's get caught up on Dwight Freeney today. Uh, you're in Southern Florida. I can't blame that at all. Um, I would imagine you get up every day, you walk around the beach, you like maybe fish a little bit of golf, and then like eat fruity pebbles and watch TV. Although you look like you could play football. <laughs> is life good? Life is good, man. I'm enjoying it. I'm spending a tremendous amount of time on that second chapter of my life, which for me is taking care of my family and taking care of my two little girls. And, and they're know, how old? And I have one that's two and a half, and I got one that's about three months. And it's absolutely awesome. It, it doesn't matter how bad my day has been and my day, you know, how bad can it be hitting a, you know, but if you're competitive like me when you hit, golf balls into the water multiple times and you're like why is this ball not going where I wanted to go you get you can be kind of pissed when you come home but when you walk through that door and you have your little daughter just screaming your name and daddy's here it changes everything just remember when you're playing tag one day and they spin to get away from you <laughs> karma's a bee right absolutely hey Dwight it's always good seeing you man appreciate it and um, enjoy the hitting them straight and enjoy the sun down in Florida thank you man thank you for having me the great Dwight Freeney right there. Jay caught up with him yesterday. I was out at Colts camp. I think I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago, Jake. Uh, Michael Jordan, Dwight Freeney, super, super close. Uh, golf partners down there in Florida a lot. Dwight is heading to Rome coming up this fall to attend the Ryder Cup with uh, with MJ. It sounds like if you want to play with MJ at the Grove, the exclusive Michael course down in Florida, you're going to get some Dwight Freeney as a uh, partner action there. He, you know, Dwight Freeney probably, it's interesting because I can't remember if it was on or off air when I asked him this, but, um, you know, I was like, how often do you come back? And he's like, I come back for the Ring of Honor stuff and occasionally they'll have me talk to guys. I'm not going to say he's distanced from the Colts. That, that, that comes off the wrong way. But I don't know that he is like as, you know, all in all the time about it as other guys because I think, as you could hear there, he just has other things going on. But if he wanted to do so between NFL Network or whatever else, I think Dwight Freeney would be an outstanding television contributor because he's super personable. He's obviously really in-depth and and explains things well, and he's a nice-looking guy. He's a friendly guy. I, I you know He could do media if he wanted to. I thought he was impressive. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the conversations with him. Like you said, it's not like a, a ton of media stuff he does, but whenever he – it uh, takes time to chat. I, I'm always a fan of it, so thank you to Dwight for that. On the other side, back to the day one reaction from Colts camp. You know, really overshadowing the Shaquille Leonard debut yesterday was certainly the Jonathan Taylor situation. Turning uh, very public last night with Jim Mercy's tweet and a response from Taylor's agent. We'll hit all that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari here on a steamy, humid, muggy Thursday in Indy. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 8 o'clock hour underway. My name is Jake Query. Mark Dykton on vacation. Graham, it's Shears, your last name, right, Graham? Is that right? 
Always reminds me and gives me PTSD over Jody Shear that won the Allisonville Spelling Bee in 1984. I was the runner-up. Oh, Graham's aunt. <laughs> yeah, not quite, but... No? Okay. I wish. No. Graham, do you know how to spell car hop? No. Oh boy, jeez. Do you want me to give it a try? Car hop? mess it up. Uh, that Is was it what... two words? It sounds like two words. No, it's one word. That's what she had to spell to, to win. I might have tossed in a hyphen. I got completely screwed. Does that give you um, PTSD, Jake? Yeah, because I had to spell car fare, and I went the wrong route with it. It was just Jody and I at the end, and then she got car, which is, look, I screwed up, right? I, I, I'm free to admit it. Was this like a Ford spelling bee? What's her obsession with cars? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was and, alphabetical. Indy 500 theme. Too. That's right. Um, th- and then I look back on it, and I'm like, how dumb were the other kids that we only made it to the C's in order to get to the finals? Um but at any rate, Graham running the board for us, Mark Dykton on vacation. Kevin, uh, Colts training camp underway yesterday, first official day of practice. So I have a couple of Colts camp questions for you. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. Okay. The first would be this. At the quarterback position, who was working predominantly with the starting unit? Every single starting rep went to Gardner Minshew. That would be 15 of them. Uh, they had three separate five-play periods yesterday. For the starters, Gardner Minshew took every single rep. Anthony Richardson then took all nine second-team reps. Those would have been split up into three three-play periods. And don't forget about old Slammy Sammy Ellinger. Uh, three two-play periods for him. So six reps for Ellinger. So on day one, it was Minshew taking them all. Um, ask Shane second afterwards what to expect. You know, are we going to see like, hey, this is you know Minshew's kind of three day chunk. This is Richardson's three day chunk, and he said there will be some flip flopping with the ones and twos. But if you based off how the spring ended and how the first day of camp went, it's been Minshew so far. So for Richardson to climb into consistent first team reps, we're going to have to see a change here because right now. That has not been the case. Again, it was day one, but just going back off the spring. But a pretty much a focus on the run game yesterday. Richardson only threw two passes in 11-on-11. 11 11, so a lot of red zone work as Shane Steichen wanted to be in that kind of confined space of the field. Didn't want guys kind of running full lengths of the, uh, of the field on uh, day one. Okay. One practice, one session, 15 reps, whatever it is, not a season make. Obviously, it's one day. But of the quarterbacks, the one that looked the most fluid or the most in sync to you was which? Yeah, God, I mean, I hate to cop out. I mean, the sample size is so incredibly small. I, I don't want to just say something just to say it. Um, you know, Minshew had a nice day throwing it. But again, Jake, I mean, this is all like dink and dunk in the red zone sort of stuff. Uh, Richardson, I, I think something that you notice about Richardson, and I really feel like he's almost held back in a way during camp because you want to see him full throttle with the leg element at his disposal. You, I mean, yesterday he, he flashed it on a couple of occasions, like, you know, uh, okay, I can, you know, get out of the pocket, make a play outside of the pocket. I can scramble a little bit, but he's still wearing a red jersey. So you just don't know fully. Like, if guys could tackle him, what would happen in those instances? And defensive players, you know, they often are trying to, all right, I don't want to touch the quarterback. I certainly don't want to touch the franchise quarterback. But, um, I mean, Richardson did have a big airmail one time in 7-on-7. He also, you know, delivered a couple of nice balls. But, again, I'm not going to sit here and act like there are some grand takeaways from them throwing it because they didn't really throw it much yesterday. And a lot of the focus was run game. Okay, question two. You mentioned the defense. 
Um, I think probably, maybe I'm speaking out of school, I think we were a little pleasantly surprised to see Shaquille Leonard playing at the speed or, um, you know, the the full jump in that he was. We didn't know what to expect. But uh, on the field, he looked how, and off the field, he said what? Jake, I was stunned by the amount of work Shaquille Leonard did yesterday. Absolutely stunned. Um, You asked how he looked. I do think that is obviously a relevant question. Um, I'm not going to act like I sat there and thought, oh my gosh, that's an all-pro out there. But I also don't think I sat there and said, man, that's the liability that we saw on the field last year either. Um, I mean, this is his first practice in 10 months. And he was out there, did every single positional drill. And we're talking a lot of kind of change of direction. I mean, it's not just, you know, whatever, straight line, pick up a fumble drill or you know, hop over bags. I mean, there was a lot of change of direction that they were doing. And I honestly expected his day to be over after that. I thought, okay, day one, Chris Bauer threw up the caution flag earlier this week. I don't think Linder will do much more than that. Then they get into the 11-on-11 period. And as I mentioned earlier with Minshew, the starters were out there for 15 plays. Leonard was out there for six of those 15. So it wasn't a huge percentage, but again, not what I thought. I thought he would just the day is over right. after positional. Basically, what they did with him is when they got into those three five-play periods with starters, Leonard would, would participate in the first two plays, and then he would exit. I think EJ Speed would come on the field for him uh, and lined up next to Zaire Franklin. So I, I just felt like from the quantity standpoint, that really, really surprised me. And if you think back to the spring, and we'll, we'll play some Leonard audio here in just a second. You think back to the spring – And again, Shaq credits Jeff Saturday big time for kind of telling him, dude, you need the second surgery. Like, I I see how you're moving out there on the field. I can tell you are nowhere near the type of player that you usually are. But Shaq was pretty optimistic publicly in the spring. And I know everybody freaked out a few weeks ago about the Ursay he has a chance comment. I I took that as he has a chance to be ready for day one of camp. I, I never took that as he has a chance to play again or he has a chance to be ready for the start of the season. Um, I thought for day one, it, it was about everything you could have expected from it. I mean, I, I don't know how you walk away from that and think you wanted to see more. I mean, that was for a guy that hasn't practiced in 10 months. Um, that was a heavy, heavy workload. And we'll see how it unfolds now moving forward here for the next few weeks and everything. And and, and I'll also sneak in this, Jake. I've never got the feeling with Leonard this is Andrew Luck. I've right, never, right. I, I, I've never thought this is a dude that Jake. We're going to show up at Colts camp tomorrow, and all of a sudden they're going to say, "Hey, Shaq Leonard's going to talk, and he's going to retire." Like I, I just, I don't get that vibe from him. He used the 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 term yesterday. You know, football's my safe haven, and when I step in between the lines, that's when kind of all the stress and all the bad in the world around me goes away, and. I just think this is a guy that is obsessed with the game of football. Um, and it's a bit unfair of me maybe to compare it to the Luck situation, but it's a question I get often, so that's why I bring it up. I just do not – I he is going to do every single thing he can to try to continue to play football because it is everything to him. And whatever, his interest off the field, however you want to describe it, they just aren't as – whatever, abundant, prevalent. They don't dominate his life like football dominates it. And again, when he is out there, it is a release for him. It is a, 
this is where I'm supposed to be for him. And he made some of those comments yesterday as well. And you're right. That's the antithesis of luck to a great extent because I always felt like with luck, I remember saying several times, it's great that you have a quarterback that's a renaissance man, but be careful what you wish for because at any point those other things of interest could become the enticing thing where he wants to do that with his full health and that's exactly what took place again yesterday here was Shaquille Leonard Graham if you could cue that up these were back-to-back questions Leonard got asked about being pretty darn nervous yesterday leading into again his first practice since last November I thought some pretty candid comments here from Shaq Leonard you know, I was nervous. I felt like, you know, this was, you know, a game day for me. Uh, first time in a while, you know, no sleep last night, jitterbugs all morning. Um, I probably didn't truly feel like myself to at the individual. I was just so nervous. And then after that, it just felt like, you know, just right where I left off at, you know, just coming in and just being being a leader for this team and just being able to just run around, hopefully make some plays. I care so much. You know, I care so much about football and, you know, I, I love what I do. And football is the only thing in my life that makes the world stop. All the bad things that's going on in my life, all the stress that is going on when I step between these white lines, that's the only time where all that is, you know, come to a pause. And once that was taken away from me, you know, my safe haven spot was gone. So now that I'm back, you know, having this safe haven spot, man, it's, it's a blessing. And that's why I was so nervous last night because I didn't want to come out and have a repeat of you know something that I did last year and I think that's why you know I had them nervous energy and just wanted to be eager to come out and put on a show for the guys I think one of the things Kevin that's of interest about Leonard and probably the really good thing about him getting out there and what he's going to have to work through in camp have you Kevin Bowen you were a golfer obviously you played sports growing up have you ever had a serious injury uh, no. From an athletic standpoint, I have not, obviously. I mean, I've had a pretty serious, I guess you'd say, injury where I had to go through a rehabilitation. Yeah, and, I call yours life-threatening. <laughs> and there is a psychological, mental aspect to it. I think for athletes, one of the hardest things is that natural hesitation of movement. Because you have forever, you have moved without thinking about it, and then your body does something where it forces you to think about it, and now you're on the mend, and your body is trying to tell you that it's okay to go back to not thinking about it anymore, but that thought is there with every move, and that's part of what you have to work through. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's probably partially where he is, right? Yeah, I thought there was an interesting comment in relation to how Leonard plays the game from Gardner Minshew yesterday. Obviously, Minshew has played several games against the Colts and Leonard in his career. And Minshew kind of pointed out, like, this is a dude that gets in the way so much. And, you know, maybe this is more in the Matt Eberflus defense, and we'll have to see about Gus Bradley. But there's a free wheel nature to how Leonard plays it. And instinctually... I mean, he's pretty darn impressive in terms of kind of finding the ball and things like that. And so, again, trying to kind of pinpoint some of the things the Colts defense was missing last season. We, we've talked about the turnovers with Leonard endlessly. So, again, we are still a long ways away from Shaq Leonard getting to be the maniac, the all-pro, all of those things. But yesterday, for a guy that last year missed all of camp, all of the preseason, on the pup list for an entire month, 
And then two years ago, he missed the first 10 practices of camp. Day one went swimmingly well for him. Now, when it comes to the mental aspect of the game itself, it's not just coming off of injury that that can impact a player. I can only imagine what it must be like for the mental approach to the game when you're going from even that a limited amount of starts at the collegiate level at the quarterback position to now knowing when you see people walking into yesterday as we did several people walking into Colts camp wearing number five jerseys knowing that Anthony Richardson now has the spotlight on him and the expectations in the eyes of a city waiting for him to lead a franchise Anthony Richardson on the mental part of the game at the quarterback position for a young player definitely mental you know uh, I feel like it's mental for everybody but especially for me you know just diving into the playbook day by day you know uh, just studying it every single day I feel like we got most of the uh, playbook you know uh, installed already but you know it's just repetition going over every day so definitely 100% mental for me right now Stephen Holder made a good point to me yesterday when we were talking Kevin Anthony Richardson is one of those that his incredibly unique physical gifts allow him to for example so much of the NFL is about foot placement and movement positioning at the quarterback position and Anthony Richardson is a guy that for so long because his arm is so strong and to this level has been able to make big throws without necessarily perfect technique. So learning that technique is going to be something for him at the professional level that he's going to have to get used to. And that is a mental thing because you are now having to train your brain to make your body do something that it has never had to do before. Yeah, you know, he mentioned yesterday, not to get too like QB nerdy, but he basically said that, you know, trying to throw more with his hips, more with his legs, move his feet a little bit faster. Those are some of the things he's kind of worked on in the last year and not just be overly reliant on, obviously, an extremely gifted arm. Jake, I did want to get back into the Jonathan Taylor situation. I know we talked a lot about it in the opening segment, and it'll be a topic that we focus on here a good amount the rest of the show. James Boyd, by the way, from The Athletic, going to join us here in 15 minutes. I do think there is an element to the Taylor contract situation, which is not some ringing endorsement of him necessarily, but it matters, I think, in regards to where the Colts are in 2023. What else are you spending the money on? Totally. Who else are you spending the money on? The Colts are sitting right now on $19 million in cap space. $19 million for this season. Is that just going to be rolled over? You have a perfect opportunity right now, in my opinion, to try and extend Taylor. I would argue, and again, I, I don't want it to be very long, but kind of in that two, three-year range. I would argue extend Michael Pittman. I know a lot of people are against that. Um, I think you take absolutely zero shortcuts in supporting Anthony Richardson with skill players. You cannot skimp there whatsoever. And so I look at this as an opportunity right now to front load some of that money, and particularly to Taylor. Um, you know, when you think about what a running back would want, I would think some guaranteed money up front would be pretty enticing to him. And so you have the ability right now to do that well before you're going to pay Richardson, well before you're going to, you know, again, and the Colts hope this, pay Bernard Ryman a second contract, pay Quiddy Pay a second contract. So I think this is an opportunity right now before the season starts for you to try and achieve one, if not two of those things 
and not only lock that guy up, but again, also help you out from a fiscal standpoint here moving forward. The the Taylor thing, again, let's just go back to this in terms of yesterday. For those that are just joining the program, uh, where have you been? Um, Jim Irsay throwing his hat into the ring, Kevin, I think that Ursay's a popular owner, and for good reason. People are interested in Jim Ursay. Here, here's the bottom line. People are interested in Jim Ursay's eccentricities. They're interested in his music. They're interested in his memorabilia collection. They're interested in his fun trivia games. They're not interested in the behind-the-scenes boardroom business deals that he has to negotiate in order to put a football team out for people to watch on Sunday. They're not. They're interested in the end product. Are you going to sign said player? Are you going to trade said player? Are you going to draft said player? People are very interested in that. But he talked a lot about making sausage, right? He knows how to make sausage. He didn't know how – what did he say? Like, I don't know how sausage is made – I don't know how sausage is made. That's what he said, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people don't want to know how he makes sausage. He himself said, look, I like sausage, but I'm not necessarily overly concerned in how it's made. And so what he needs to understand is people like his football team, they're not necessarily overly concerned with the business negotiations that take place to getting them. In people's opinion, the Colts have always said, run the damn ball. In the opinion of fans, it's sign the damn player or or trade him, one or the other. But let me know when you come to a decision. I don't need you to publicly air it out. I think Jim Mersey crossed a line that is a dangerous precedent because people aren't going to turn their back on the football franchise or suddenly dislike the guy. But I think players take note of it. I think players, and I think that Ursay is seen by players highly respected as a likable owner. But you start getting into that category and people are like, hey, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, is you know th- This guy's like publicly airing out, like calling out the agent of, of his best offensive player. Which, again, I, I think the tweet yesterday goes extends further than, than Taylor. I think, and this might sound really stupid to a lot of people, I think it's Ursay defending the shield. Understood. But, but if you are other players, you're like, sure. Sure, sure, sure. You know what I mean? I, I'm just trying to provide. I don't think it was a direct shot at Taylor. Now, obviously. So, okay. So let me let me let me simplify room, that. Jim. You, you obviously have to realize what's going on in your own building. Let me simplify that. The easiest way to say this for people who have not followed it is this: over the course of the last number of years, there has been a de-emphasis within the NFL, not necessarily on the use of running backs, but on the importance of running backs. And so as a result of that, while a lot of players are getting big-time contracts, the running backs have become the position that have been squeezed out of the big slices of pie. And so finally this year, a number of running backs have gotten together and made insinuation of, we're not going to stand for this anymore. We are going to band together in the, as, as the running back brethren and take a stand and make sure that we get ours too. And Jim Irsay, who happens to have one of the probably three most 
coveted running backs in terms of skill set in the National Football League on his roster and a player whose value to the Colts is probably greater than most running backs value to their respective team. Jim Mercer then came out and said, um, running backs, be forewarned, we already have a cl- we've already gone through this. We already had a collective bargaining agreement that you as running backs were part of where you agreed to the way that we're going to do things. So don't think now that all of a sudden you're going to cross that picket line because that ain't going to work. So don't bring that noise around here. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. But it is still a player's league to an to an extent. Not not in terms of who is the one where the buck stops, but in terms of fan interest and things like that. I God go back bless to Jim Mercy on Twitter. What's that? God bless Jim uh, Mercy no, on no Twitter. No question. But I, I think that fans may, – maybe I'm wrong. People can tell me if I'm wrong. I think, in general, fans' opinion with Jim Irsay or with the tweet or with this would be, listen, I'm a Colts fan. I love watching Jonathan Taylor play. He's a really fun player, and we won some games because of him. And he seems like a really nice guy that's never had a misstep. However, and I like Jim Irsay, and I think he's a good owner, and I think he's fun, and I enjoy watching his football team. However, I don't want politics brought into my sports, and I don't want business back and forth mudslinging brought into my football game. So you guys figure it out. I don't want to hear it. I think that's what most fans feel. I don't say this in relation to the Jonathan Taylor situation because I do think it's different with Anthony Richardson's presence here, the Colts having this cap space, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm still waiting for one of these running backs, whether it's Saquon Barkley, whether it's the Najee Harris comments from yesterday, you know, Austin Eckler, whoever, Taylor for that matter. I'm waiting for one of these running backs to show me substance. Like, I don't listen. I I listen to them. I see their tweets, et cetera, et cetera, and I walk away from it. And I'm thinking, I don't feel any differently about the argument than I did when I walked into it. Like, there's no substance with what they are saying because it's a position that it's hard to have three down value. It's hard to s- sustain for a long portion of your career into your whatever 28, 29, 30 year old seasons. And look at the Super Bowl history. Super Bowl teams have proven they don't need an elite running back to hoist it. So when you add up all that, you're going to be devalued. Welcome to business. Right. That, I mean, that, that's just that's how the NBA's evolved with back to the basket guys, and now that's how the NFL has evolved. It's a pass happy league. It favors quarterbacks. It favors wideouts. All of those things. So if you if you want to get paid, really, really paid as a running back, you got to be Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. You got to have that third down presence. And in Taylor's case. Um, he does not have that. So, again, how these play out will be fascinating. I, I still think the Colts could do something in that two- to three-year range, around $13 million a year. I, I think that is reasonable. I think it's manageable. I think it makes sense given the tra- trajectory of where you're at right now. But Taylor's stance on this, um, boy, league-wide, so many eyes are going to be on this. All right, James Boyd's going to join us here in a few minutes to talk more about this. Um, let's hit a morning check down, though. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 
on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Good news and bad news for the Cincinnati Redlegs. The good news is they don't have to face the Milwaukee Brewers again the rest of the regular season. (laughs) Bad news is yesterday they ended that with a 3-0 loss to the Brew Crew. Those bats just go silent when they take on Milwaukee, man. Uh, Reds yesterday, losers 3-0. Cardinals over the Diamondbacks 11-7 yesterday. It was elsewhere around the Midwest. Cleveland over Kansas City 8-3. Cubs over the White Sox 10-7. And the Baltimore Orioles, by the way, that's not in the Midwest, but they did lose to the Phillies 6-4. Indianapolis Indians 6-5 winners over the Louisville Bats. Get home all week long, the Indians, and they've got a day game coming up on Sunday as well. Uh, last night, it was a 9 o'clock kick from, were they New Zealand or Australia last night? I kind of forget. I think they're still New Zealand. But I think they're still New Zealand. Uh, U.S. Women's National Team against the Netherlands. They go down 1-0 in the first half. It was the first time that the U.S. women had faced a World Cup deficit in 17 straight matches. I could not believe when Fox flashed that graphic up there, but in the second half, Lindsey Horan with a big time header. It was actually a pretty intense moment. She got into it with uh, her club teammate who plays for the Netherlands, fouled her very aggressively. Um, some words exchanged, to say oh, the least, like, that I don't think I can re- repeat on these airwaves. It's like Danny Rojas, right, in the international play. I, that is a very good, uh, good uh, comparison there, Jake. <laughs> uh, next thing you know, Horan off a corner kick, heads it into the goal. 1 1 is how the game would then finish from there. So, what that means for the U.S. is. They will play Portugal in their final group stage coming up early on Tuesday morning. I don't think Portugal is viewed anywhere near the same light as the Netherlands, so the U.S. should be favored in that match. As long as they win or tie, they will advance out of their group. It's probably the shot of winning the group probably um, ended last night, but still they have an opportunity, I guess, depending on goal differential. If they win the match, they could still win the group, but... Just a little bit of, I don't know, shaky, uneasy moments, whatever you want to call it, for the U.S. here in their group games. I'd like to go to Portugal. I've heard good things. Yeah, it's supposed to be beautiful, Yeah, right? my wife studied abroad in Barcelona, slid over to Portugal a little bit, and yeah, had a good time. Um, no Colts practice today, right? Correct. No Colts practice today. Back at it tomorrow morning and then Saturday night. Both of those are already sold out. I know I said this a lot yesterday as the crowd started to build. I was beyond impressed by the first day crowd of Colts camp yesterday. A sellout is 6,500 up there at Grand Park, so that will be the capacity crowd coming up tomorrow and Saturday as well. I would guess they had over 4,000 uh, yesterday just based off um, how crowded the stands were. So next week again is the most, I would say, is the busiest week of Colts practices up there at, at Grand Park. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and then both Saturday and Sunday. Colts.com for your tickets there. They are free to attend training camp. On the other side, James Boyd from the Athletic. He will join us talk about his day one takeaways and of course the Jonathan Taylor situation. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 28 minutes before the hour of 9 o'clock, Colts, after an arduous day of work yesterday, said, you know what? We got to take the day off. It's NFLPA, man. They got to figure it out, right? Shane Steichen, adamant after practice yesterday. Got Mark Dykton's schedule. <laughs> the most injuries occurred during this first week, so uh, it's going to be late. I mean, they only practiced really for an hour yesterday. But the fireworks continued deep into the night. I actually went back out to Grand Park about 
Uh, and James Boyd was still there. And then little did James Boyd know he would go home, or I assume he went home, and all of a sudden Jim Mercer would fire off a tweet and James would be working until the wee hours of the morning. James Boyd, give us a rundown of your schedule yesterday. Yeah, so for the most part, it was pretty straightforward to start. I had the minute-by-minute breakdown of Anthony Richardson's day. and Nice work on that, by the way. I enjoyed yeah, that. I know, I, I know it wasn't the most active day for Anthony Richardson, but for those that missed it, up on the athletic, kind of a, yeah, as James said, a minute-by-minute breakdown of Anthony Richardson's first training camp practice. Yeah, so you'd think that would go by kind of quick, but getting into the details of every little thing, I was like, wow, this is way more tedious than I thought it would be when I did it, so... When I finally felt like I finished that off and had the right quotes in there and kind of gave it some, you know, room to breathe, head home thinking I'm done for the day, and I see Ursay fire off his tweet, and I'm like, okay, like I'll react to this on Twitter, no need to like do a story or anything like that. And then JT's agent returns the fire, and I'm like, all right, I got to write something on this. So that's the job sometimes, and I felt like we were all in the same boat in that regard where we would all close our laptops and have to reopen them because – um, obviously, the negotiations, the conversations around running backs is no longer, you know, I guess as cordial as it had been um, prior to last night's uh, uh, development. I, I really am unsure of how this all is going to play out. Um, obviously, there are eyes on it, James, here locally, understandably, certainly eyes on it from a national standpoint. Um I guess let's just boil it down maybe to the last 24 hours. What do you make of Taylor on the pup list with an injury that seemingly could have been resolved or should have been resolved much earlier in the offseason than what we saw last night with Ursay's tweet, I would argue, taking a little bit more of a league-wide stance than the direct shot of Taylor, but hell, read the room. Uh, and then obviously Taylor's agent firing back at the Colts' owner. Yeah, I think that... At the end of the day, man, it's just not a good look. Like, I can never question a guy and say, how healthy are you really? But the optics of it do not look good. And then when you have your agent publicly firing back at the man who's supposed to pay you, I'm thinking to myself, how is this going to work? Because no matter what anybody says, and they say it's just business, everything is personal as well. Every business transaction is personal. So I don't think it would be wise to get on the bad side or – um upsets the guy you're asking to pay your client a ton of money. And so um, I don't know when we see JT again, I will say this. He never really gave us a timeline in his return. Everything that we asked during the spring and since he had the surgery in January has been, you know, I plan to be back by then. I hope to be back by then, but there was never like, I'm going to be back by then. So um, there's a little bit of a buffer there, but the optics don't look good. And the elephant in the room, I wrote this yesterday, last night, is are you using this as sort of like a hold-in so you don't get fined for missing time with the holdout because he's still under contract? Yeah, and I'll sl- slide this in before Jake hops in. You know, that's something we saw, I think, and I could be wrong, but I thought we saw that with Shaquille Leonard a couple of years ago. And I think it's worth mentioning they both have the same agent, Shaquille Leonard and Jonathan Taylor. All of a sudden, Leonard signs his contract on August 7th, and August 10th, he's back on the practice field after missing 10 straight practices to start camp. Now it, it, that's a little mer- you know it, it's a it's probably unfair of me to totally go there with Taylor, but we are talking about a high ankle sprain that has now taken six months to get better from. James, I'd make the argument if I were a Colts fan, I would hope that he is doing an actual sit in and that it's not a lingering ankle issue that's lasted over six months. Absolutely, and I also don't know how you gain leverage by doing this because. 
if you are legitimately hurt, they're going to be like, well, you're damaged good, so we're not going to sure. pay you. We're going to make you play this rookie contract out. And then even if you aren't damaged good, they're going to be like, well, you're coming off an injury-riddled season, so we're still going to make you play this contract out before next season where we could decide to franchise tag you or whatever. And so um, I just don't see how he gains any leverage. I said this yesterday in a quick video reaction on Twitter. He has zero leverage. None of the running backs do. It's not a matter of right or wrong. We can talk about morals and all that later. But, I mean, just as far as the rules go, he's not wrong for wanting his money. But then Jim Irsay and the Colts are not wrong for saying, well, we can keep you at this race while we pay you more. James, do you believe, and I do, for what it's worth, not to sway you to my side here, but do you believe that even though Jim Irsay may be right in this, that there is the danger of sending the wrong message to other players that could prospectively become Indianapolis Colts via free agency in the future, et cetera, by publicly airing out a contract dispute? No, I don't think it'll really have that too much of an effect on things because, I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. is going to get paid, and he's going to get paid by the same guy, most likely, and he has probably no issue with – I mean, I'm not going to see poor Michael Pittman Jr. I'm sure he's probably like, well, that's not the nicest thing to do to my teammate. But if I'm an individual, I'm not too concerned with what the other guy's got going on with his contract. Now, obviously, you want your teammates to be – compensated you want them to feel good about coming into camp all those things but at the end of the day it is a survivalist you know type of league and type of mentality you have to have it's, it's me you know for myself at the end of the day and so I think that as long as you pay the guys you want to pay and you offer that money um you'll be fine it was the same conversation we had when he hired Jeff Saturday you know and had all the uh, coach debacling and things like that and people were like wow would legitimate coaches try to come to the Colts or would they feel like, you know, this guy's in the way? And they still ended up with a pretty good coach and a great list of candidates anyway. So I think this doesn't really matter at the end of the day as long as he offers money and um, the money is where those players specifically feel like they're worth. James Boyd is with us here from The Athletic. I, I think we will move on. I, I don't know. Maybe something else will <laughs> pop into our heads. And we'll go back there in just a second. But um, frankly, James, I was stunned by the amount of work Shaquille Leonard did yesterday. I thought his comments post-practice was about what I would expect. I mean, I've never for once ever thought this is an Andrew Luck situation. I think Shaquille Leonard is a beyond obsessed with the game of football, and I thought his comments were really enlightening in the safe haven that kind of stepping between the lines provides for him. But still, the, the quantity of work, again, we're going to get to judging the quality of the work down the road, but for day one, the quantity stunned me. I know you were pretty locked in on Richardson, but um, from a Leonard point of view, what did you think of uh, what he did yesterday? I thought it was really solid. I mean, I did get a chance to watch a few reps from um, Shaq while Richardson was running with the twos, so it gave me a little bit of chance to see him. And I just thought that the fact that he hyped the crowd up, that was the moment where I was like, all right, usually you come back and you kind of just want to see how you are before you engage with the crowd and do all that stuff. But he was kind of like – And he did I'm say here. he was really nervous early on, like through the individual period, and then he kind of was like, okay, I can I can do this. Yeah, it, it kind of looked like you could see that that – Flip gets, you know, switched and, and it was like, oh, or switch get flipped. And he was just like, man, I feel like myself, or at least part of it, and I can kind of see myself being back to who I was. And I did ask, you know, hey, are you seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? He's like, no, it's still a little bit dark. And I think he's just kind of like, I don't want to, you know, say anything, do anything before I actually can do it. But to be running with the ones, 
um, to be moving pretty fluidly from what I can tell. I'm not like a doctor or anything, but he looked pretty good. Um, he said he has to watch the tape himself to see how he looked. But um, I thought it was very promising because, again, it was very mysterious. And it looked like we finally got a peek behind the curtain yesterday to seeing him actually make some progress because for so long it was like, oh, he's progressing. And it's like, well, yeah, what does that even mean? We haven't seen the guy. So now when they say he's progressing, I'm like, okay, everyone's not really like, you know, lying to me. They're actually seeing something. Not saying that they were doing that before, but it's hard to really give that any, you know, credence when, again, you just hadn't seen the guy. So happy for Shaq. And like you said, he loves football. I think even if he isn't able to get back to the pool of who he was or was never able to play the game again, he would go out there and, like, be terrible before he just walked away from it, is my opinion. James, who has the best opportunity at corner? Because that's an area that Indianapolis clearly is – I wouldn't say deficient, but if you had to pick a unit that is in most need or has the best opportunity for someone to jump right in and make a name for themselves that we might not be looking at, who is somebody that you look at and you go, you know what, that could be the guy that becomes a household name in five months from now that that most people don't know of right now? I would say Dallas Flowers. I said this yesterday on the midday show, sort of my hot take. I think that he could be – potentially the best cornerback on the roster or the most impactful one given the scheme. I know we talk about Kenny Moore, him being um, a veteran, you know, obviously having the starts under his, underneath his belt and, um, you know, having a bounce back season potentially. But it, we still don't know what he's going to look like in Gus Bradley's scheme, which is the reason why he kind of fell off last year to begin with. But with Dallas, he's long, he's athletic, he's extremely confident. He's been the same way. I mean, when I talked to him last season after he made the 53-man roster as an undrafted guy, he talked like he'd been in the NFL for 10 years. He's like, I'm going to do this. It was never like, I hope to do this. I hope to do that. He's like, I'm going to get my shot. And I'm going to make the most of it. So I think that him being sort of like that long athletic guy, um, and then just being healthy gives him an opportunity to go out there and, and get more reps and seize the opportunity because um, with Juju Brents, he's out now with the hamstring. You know, Darius Rush was still a fifth-round pick, I believe, so he has to get acclimated after missing all the spring. And Dallas is a guy who's kind of been – you know, waiting in the wings, making his plays, and taking advantage of his uh, chances and opportunities. So I think that's a guy who could become a household name in Indianapolis and one that's easy to root for as well. Did you feel like, did you feel like James, as I did, that Kenny Moore, when he met with the media, was a little bit humbled from a year ago of like, yeah, I probably would like a do-over and not not necessarily apologetic, but it was almost like he was well aware of the fact that people knew he had a down year. Absolutely. And I think that's been the theme that he's had pretty much all offseason. When we talked to him at the end of the season, he was very candid. And that was when we didn't know if he was going to be able to come back or if they were going to trade him or something like that. Then I talked to him at an event at the Indianapolis Children's Museum, and he was very reflective then and was saying, like, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. You know, I got to, you know, bounce back. It was times where I thought I wasn't going to be on the team or whatever. And then yesterday, I thought you asked a fantastic question to him, like, hey, did you let the contract stuff um, going into last year kind of cloud? your play after you weren't rewarded with what you thought you deserved. And he was like, yeah. And then obviously dug a little bit deeper and asked for some details. He's like, well, I'm not going to get into that. But I think that he was very, very, very reflective in someone who um, kind of sees the writing on the wall where this is a make it or break it year for him. And, um, you know, he's got to focus on the play level rather than, you know, being rewarded. And so I think that, um, you know, they could ideally bring him back. He said he wants to be back here, but, Again, nothing is a guarantee with what's going on with the team outside of Anthony Richardson. So I think that he's someone who's uh, just looking to prove himself and hopefully, you know, be better utilized in the system this year. 
Okay, James Boyd is with us here from The Athletic. His latest kind of a minute-by-minute breakdown from Anthony Richardson's first training camp practice. As James said, all second-team reps for Richardson yesterday. Gardner Minshew took all 15 starting reps. That was kind of the trend, not to, I think, that degree. That was kind of the trend we saw late in the spring. James, I know Shane Steichen doesn't want to go there anytime soon, but <laughs> like, wh- when do you start thinking, I, I mean, right now, it. how do you not think that, okay, Gardner Minshew is going to be the guy week one? I mean, again, it's July 27th, but if you just base this strictly off of practice reps, you would have to say that the Colts are going there. Um, I know Steichen and Ursay in particular have been pretty open-minded about Richardson playing early, where I guess when do you start saying, all right, you can write Minshew on the death chart in, in, in pen or even Sharpie? Yeah, I would say when we get around those first preseason games and things like that, joint practices, if he's still taking all the first-team reps during like joint practices and stuff, then obviously you're like, okay, this has to be the guy. Now we have some time before then. And I just think that this was a simple way to kind of ease Anthony Richardson into um, you know, practice, training camp, that environment. So I wasn't too surprised to see um, Gardner Minshew running with the ones. But also, I believe you or someone else asked him, do you see yourself as the starter? And he's like, well, you know, I started today. We'll see what happens. And so he's not going to give anything to Anthony Richardson, which he elaborated on. He was saying, you know, I want him to be his best, but I want to be better than him so we can push each other. And I think that's a good combination to have. But right now, um, you know, everyone can kind of relax a little bit. You know, if he doesn't start – you know, by the end of the week, you know, don't panic or whatever. But the good thing about it for us, KB, is that we get to see it every day now. Like, you know, it was hard to gauge it during, right. you know, rookie minicamp, OTAs. We were there once a week, and he's like, well, on other days he's doing this. And we're like, well, we can't really believe you because we, don't, we haven't seen the other days. We're going to see every single day now, so um, there will be no hiding. When we start to see a trend in one direction or the other, um, we'll be able to, you know, kind of elaborate or react off of that. James, you – and my apologies that I can't recall this specifically. You came to Indianapolis when? You've been here November, how long? November, I believe, 2021. Okay. So, yeah, you know, first yeah, first Pacer season, 2021-22. So, yeah. have you been to – tomorrow we're going to be live at the Indiana State Fair. Have you been to the Indiana State Fair? I have not been to the Indiana State Fair. <laughs> so, my goal then is to get you to the Indiana State Fair. You, you have not, like, experienced true Indiana until you've been to the State Fair. <laughs> This is true. I have a lot of things to knock off the bucket list. I got a 500 to get to next year. I got to get to the Indiana State Fair. And I guess the benefit of doing football now as opposed to coming here for the NBA is that I have a life um, sort of outside of my job. When I did Pacers, I really did not see Indianapolis, and I really was not living in Indianapolis as far as I was concerned because I was home for a few days and on the road for like a week. And so Looking forward to that. It should be fun. And I'm trying to like get everything knocked off the, the bucket list before the season starts. If you were going to be at the Dairy Bar, which is where we're going to be tomorrow, would you go with the following menu options here? you got cheese sticks, you've got grilled cheese of multiple variations, or you've got mm-hmm. um, like the, well, just like malts or, or you know, basically shakes. It's a great media question, even though James weighs about 130 pounds. <laughs> Which one would you go with? You're not lying to KB. I'm very skinny. Um, I would go with like a malt or a shake. I'm, a, I'm definitely a big milkshake guy. Um, not a huge cheese guy. And um, I guess that's why I'm so skinny, KB. I barely, you know, eat a, lunch, a bunch of junk food as it is, but I'm always down for a good 
ice cream, Man, anything. This, this grilled cheese, though. A lot Swiss of ve- on rye. A lot of veggies at the media lunch yesterday at Colts training camp, and you would have thought James had just seen a bear just staring right at him. He wanted no part of that whatsoever. I mean, I was kind of, you know, with Chap on that one. Chap doesn't like his vegetables, and I'm usually a, a pretty good vegetable guy, but yesterday I was like, I can't even name these vegetables, so no, I will take a pass on that. So hopefully they have something that's a little more, uh, I guess, unhealthy. Because to me, my dad's rule is that the bag ain't greasy, it's not good. So, you know, <laughs> give me some uh, some Wait grease, you know, tomorrow and we'll be good. Is it only during the season when they bring in hot box pizza for everybody? No, we, we get, uh, I assume they are team meals. They bring those yeah. over to us after, yeah. uh, after wow. they okay. feed the players and you know, staff. Yeah, I'm not trying to you know deadlift today, so you can bring me a burger instead. <laughs> yeah, the, no hot box action for us uh, <laughs> yesterday. James, I I say this for you and, and for me selfishly as well. I hope the day off is quiet for you, all right? Yeah, uh, man, I, I mean, we're in this together. I feel like every time <laughs> I see some chaos happen on a different beat, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not covering that. And then Jim Irsay just kind of threw you know a bomb onto my uh, evening last night. So. Yeah. Thankful for that. <laughs> I'll catch well, up with you guys soon, though. Welcome to Jim Uh Thank you, James. I appreciate it. That is James Boyd. I'll give these guys right something the to write about. Uh, Dalvin Cook visiting the Jets today. I mean, what does that tell you, though? Dalvin Cook's been a free agent for how long? Uh, what are we, approaching a month right around there? I mean, that's the first visit he's even made, isn't it? I can't recall Good player. any other visits. Boy, that Jets team. It reminds me, the Jets remind me of the Lakers when they signed. Was the Lakers had like, it was like Carl Malone and maybe Steve Nash or who was the other one? There were like three players and it was like, oh my gosh, Gary Payton. Holy cow. The Lakers are going to be unbelievable. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, these guys are old. Yeah, but is Rodgers old? Didn't he just win back-to-back MVPs? I, I, I get it. You know, the... The Washington Redskins, when they were still known as that, like in the mid-90s, it was like they got Deion Sanders and all these guys, and it's like, oh my gosh, they're going to be unbelievable. It's like, well, wait a minute. They all had fallen off a cliff. We'll continue the Colts conversation here coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari here on a very muggy Thursday in Indy. Jake, we'll get back into Colts here coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, but next week you are Nashville-bound for, I would say, the IndyCar race that drew a ton of attention last year in its debut from a street race standpoint. And there's going to be a change to where it is on the schedule for next year? Yeah, it looks like it's, uh, you know, while this has not been set in stone, the odds are high that it is going to be the season finale. One of the interesting things about it is it's going to be a new course because the course goes around Nissan Stadium, which is on the other side of the river from Broadway in Nashville, if you're familiar with the city. Um, and they're redoing the stadium. They're, they're, they're building a new stadium in that same area. So the track's going to have to be redesigned. I think it, it, it reportedly is going to include part of Broadway. For those that don't know, Broadway is the bar strip, the famous bar strip in Nashville. It is a total party atmosphere. Um, Ending it there at the end of the year is is a smart move because, A, it's a party atmosphere. B, it's within proximity to your main fan base, which is the Indianapolis area. And C, you can still entertain clients, guests, etc. because who doesn't love going to that area of Nashville itself? Challenge is going to be, Kevin, the fact that presumably it would have to be 
if you're ending the year, that typically is right when the NFL season is right, starting. Right, I was thinking about that. And it would have to be a game where the Titans are on the road. And aren't they building a new stadium? They are, and that's why they have to shift where the track is. Gotcha. But for that reason, one would assume that the race would have to take place during a Titans road game, and theoretically that's going to be week one or week two of the NFL season. So from a local standpoint, you've got that, you're going against that. But I do think that there's enough stuff going on in Nashville that it does, you know, you can still have a massive crowd down there where the track would be. I don't know. I think with the Olympics next year, it might be difficult for this given the NBC contract. I'd like to see the season finale bumped up to the week before the NFL starts too. Well, I think a lot of people that certainly, certainly, certainly. Like I feel like we get to what Portland and Sonoma, and it's like three o'clock on a Sunday. Both Uh, these races. I'm like. It's week one and week two. I know. I mean, I, <laughs> la, you know, a couple of years ago, I remember being in, you know, they're down 20 to three. Was it last year? They're down 20 to yeah, three in Houston. Houston. Yeah. And I'm up there calling a turn and I'm like, man, in Indy, a lot of eyeballs on this NFL game. Certainly that is the case, but I am excited about that. I think that's a good move by IndyCar moving it a little bit more Midwest. Certainly in Nashville speaks for itself. Uh, we'll get back into the Colts conversation on the, on the other side. Kevin Query here, 93.5-107.5, the fan. All right, no Colts practice today. They'll be back at it tomorrow. We're going to be over at the State Fair tomorrow. Jake, location-wise, Dairy Barn for us, right, tomorrow? Uh, Dairy Bar. Dairy Bar, sorry. Dairy Bar. (laughs) thinking of State Fair barns. Well, this is the nonstop debate. Is it a bar or a barn? It's actually a bar inside a barn to some extent. Uh, But it's the Dairy Bar where, where... you can get grilled cheese. You can get I – mean, it's fabulous. Milkshakes. I, I have no off switch with most of the dairy products they have there. But that is where we will be tomorrow to get everybody kicked off and running for the Indiana State Fair. I, I love the fair, man. Yeah, I would say my wife would agree. I have no off switch with um, any sort of cheese products either. So uh, milkshakes, et cetera. I can't wait. And, boy, what a perfect day to be out there and indulging in some of that. It – um. When I was a kid, my mom used to say to me that the Indiana State Fair was the beginning of the end of summer. And I'm like, oh, man. But it's, there's probably some truth to that. By the way, I have a I have a um, old man yelling at clouds r- rant here. Are okay. you ready? Yeah, sure. Um, a little bit later in the show for that. Do you, <laughs> do you Have you ever watched – are you a game show guy? You know, I used to be Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy every single night, and now the kids' bedtimes have kind of bled into that, so I have not watched Wheel of Fortune and or Jeopardy in quite some time. When I was a kid, I used to love, well, unfortunately, this was true of my college years as well, Um, I used to love like the daytime television, late morning game shows, Price is Right, you know, Card Sharks, um, Press Your Luck, all of them. But my favorite was $100,000 Pyramid. Now, are you familiar with $100,000 Pyramid? Not, I mean, I've certainly heard of it, but no. So, at its strongest, $100,000 Pyramid was hosted by Dick Clark, uh, who was very smarmy because he'd always have the right answers after the fact. But you had to, I think you could win $10,000 or maybe it was $25,000, whether you were in the first round or the second round. And then they had a tournament of winners that ultimately had a chance for the $100,000 ultimate like tournament of champions. Now, the show literally, everybody on every show gets a chance to win $100,000. And the, the, the categories are so ridiculously easy. They're just giving money away. Can like, you give us some examples? Well, 
do you know how the game works? So you're sitting there, you and I are, are, are teammates essentially, and it gives me categories and I've got to describe words so that you, so for example, if we're playing $100,000 pyramid right now, okay, uh-huh. here, it, I'm going to start naming things. You tell me what they all have in common. Okay. What they are. You ready? Here we go. Um, ben Roethlisberger, um, Tommy Maddox, Terry Bradshaw, Neil NFL O'Donnell. What's that? Steelers. NFL quarterbacks. Uh, um, Steelers quarterbacks. Thank you, Kevin. When you started, I was nervous where you were going with Roethlisberger. I was That's like, right. oh boy, you say Tiger Woods next. I don't, I don't <laughs> so, know about that. So, so in the in the old days of the hundred thousand dollar pyramid, like as you go along the pyramid, it gets harder as you go along. You know, it would be like you know, the categories, you know, things that sag or like um, <laughs> things you sharpen. You know, like kind of obscure things. Yeah. Now, like the hardest one, it's like Rolex, uh, Timex, Seiko, uh, brands of watches. Ding, 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 ding. You win $100,000. Are we getting softer? Yes. Michael Strahan's the host, by the way, and he's okay. Um, He's probably more likable than Dick Clark, who was very smarmy. Let's get Freeney into that chair. Yes. I actually thought of that yesterday. I thought Dwight Freeney would be really good as a game show host because he's like kind of a laid back dude. He's very Strahan-esque, but with prettier teeth. By the Dwight way, Dwight Freeney has very nice teeth. If you missed any of the Dwight Freeney interview from earlier, we'll play that here to end the show on this Thursday. Um, I did want to mention this, Jay, because it was one of the things I was looking for at Colts practice yesterday. Uh, would we see the camp debut, or I should say the NFL practice debut for Juju Brents, the second-round pick out of Warren? Um, we have not yet seen that. Yesterday, he had a big sleeve on his right leg due to a hamstring injury. So it was the wrist injury he was getting back from in the spring. Um, Shane Sykin acted like his stay on the sidelines. Again, he's not on the pup list, but he did not practice yesterday. He did not act like his stay would be too, too long. So we're still going to have to wait to see Juju Prince. And I do think it's worth mentioning, Jake. I mean, he missed 13 11-on-11 practices in the spring. Yesterday would have been number 14. You do get to a point where those really start to add up. And I know that cornerback room has had a lot of in and out, certainly in this offseason. Other guys have been banged up around, you know, Kenny Moore and all the youth in that room. But when you miss 14 practices, that allows for guys to really make a strong impression on the coaching staff. And so I am curious when Juju Brents gets back to practice and I guess makes his practice debut is the better way to put it how much ground does he have to make up uh with that man I corner is so much about just timing and feel anyway right like I would think reps are really important to be out there I I I think the what do you think is the hardest position to play in the NFL outside of quarterback yes you know I've heard a lot of people mention tight end Really? Because you're involved so much in the run game and the pass game. You're involved in both. I could see that. And I guess it's tight end because there are probably a lot of plays, Kevin, are there not where you are a designed blocker, but then after a certain amount of time you retreat from your – you surrender your blocking duties to then become an emergency receiver, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that So you've got to have that timing down. That's an element of it. I also think there's like an unpredictability of when you get to the line of scrimmage, you often don't know what's across from you. Like for the most part, the guard knows the defensive tackle is going to be across from him every play. Right. Whereas a tight end, you kind of get there and you're like, okay, how do I read this? How do I react to that? But um, yeah, I have heard 
tight end with that. Obviously, the sheer athleticism and the speed of the game for a corner or a left tackle or a pass rusher, you know, all of those come into play. Um, but I would go there. It's funny because I think I mentioned to you at the Iowa races in Indy, uh, the IndyCar races in Iowa, I saw Dallas Clark. He was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he looked. He looked in better shape than when he played here. And I mentioned that yesterday. Has not been to the dairy bar is what you're saying. I I think he runs a dairy farm basically, right? Or or I think. Does he really? Well, he, I mean, I don't know. He works on or lives on a farm. I don't know. I don't think he's working as a farmer. But I mentioned it yesterday when Freeney was in here. I said, you know, hey, I just ran into Dallas Clark. And Freeney said, oh, yeah, man, that guy's crazy. He's doing like triathlons with Tony Kanaan. And Freeney's like, not me, man. I'll go out on the golf course, and that's about it. You know what I didn't ask? I, I It would not have been probably appropriate to ask Freeney this, but I had forgotten. Remember he ended up having to sue his um, like his investment broker, investment banker, for $20 million because he had money embezzled from him? Yeah, now that you bring that up, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't remember how that played out or any of that, but how recent was that? Like 10 years ago, I think. You played a great game with me yesterday up at Grand Park asking me all the teams that Dwight Freeney played for. Okay, here you go. You ready? I I, I think we have this right. I think I missed that. What I missed one? Okay, Indianapolis, obviously. The Chargers. The Seahawks. The Lions. The Falcons. And the Cardinals, right? Boom, boom. Most prominent what? Probably Chargers? I would think Chargers, but he has Wasn't he on the Falcons Super Bowl team? The team that lost when they were up thirty one to or twenty to three? I, I that may be right. I, I wanna say that he Gosh, he had an eight sack season with the Cardinals. I was gonna say he had like kind of a a, a last like a Jimmy Connors late surge. Age thirty five, he had eight sacks and eleven games with the Cardinals. That's pretty impressive. Him but, or Mathis, more deserving Hall of Famer. Or neither, I guess, or both. You know, it's probably Freeney because, and I love Robert Mathis. And to Mathis's credit, the argument that Robert Mathis's career was bolstered by being lined up alongside Freeney he debunked that by even surpassing Freeney's numbers once Freeney was gone. So you could make the argument that Mathis was the better player because he never had – because Mathis – Freeney never had a season where there was not a dynamic bookend on the other side of him. Mathis did have to do that and and excelled. But I think Freeney having – a, a move that was specifically his in the spin move and the bum rush. I it's I read an interview yesterday with an NFL lineman that said the only player that I saw Jonathan Ogden, it was a Ravens player, and it said the only player that I – the only time I ever saw Jonathan Ogden literally in his head before a game was when we were getting ready to play Dwight Freeney. So I don't know. Which one would you say? I've always felt like the strip sack stat for Mathis, the most in NFL history, puts him slightly above Freeney. But I know you can counter with the longevity of Freeney's career, 
just the, I think he has more sacks, just sheer number-wise. Does the PED thing bother you at all, Mathis? I, it doesn't me. I think it would a lot. That came people. right after he led the league in sacks, for yeah. what it's worth. Um, I think something that stands out to me is when you see both of them in public, and I know you obviously saw Freeney yesterday. Jake, this is not these are not Anthony Richardson mold out of clay guys. I mean, both of them are obviously in you know peak physical shape, but we're not talking about 6'5", 260 pounds. We're not talking Julius Peppers. We're not talking Jason Taylor coming off the edge. I mean, Freeney's case, he's what, 6'1"? Yeah, it, not even that. I mean, he... In a Mathis case, he played at what, 238, 240? Yeah. Maybe? I think... If one of the two were... If I had to wager on which of the two would get in, I would probably put it at Freeney because I think Freeney... This should not be a factor. Should not be a factor. But, and I love Robert Mathis. I did a radio show with Robert Mathis and loved him. And he was great. But I think that overall, Freeney's likability and kind of clean-cut image would help him versus Mathis. Only, not that Mathis has any skeletons. Gosh, he I just, thought Colts fans loved Mathis, though. I, I, Colts fan. I'm talking about the media. I'm talking about like the national media. You know, I think the national media sees Mathis as there have been some not very favorable articles about Mathis on a national standpoint since his playing days were over. And I loved Mathis, but I think Mathis was seen as like the Kai, the the the, the, the quiet, shy, kind of menacing guy. Although when we did the radio show with him, I remember that we did a Reggie Wayne show, Reggie Wayne retired. And so I'm like, well, why don't we go after like Robert Mathis? He was like the last elder statesman at that era. And I didn't really know anything about him. And he was great. So this is James Boyd earlier, getting back to the Jonathan Taylor conversation. Jake, I think if you're a Colts fan right now, you want Taylor to be sitting in and again, I, I say sitting in instead of sitting out or holding out because he is present. He was watching practice yesterday. For what it's worth, he had no boot on the ankle. But you would rather him be taking a stance contractually with a sit-in than you would be still nursing that ankle. Right. If we're more than six months removed from high ankle sprain surgery and he still is not ready to go, I... Ooh. When is the wear and tear from Wisconsin starting to show up? Well, because I, he played three years at Wisconsin, Jake, and they gave him the ball and ran him into the ground every lot single of, week. A lot of miles on, on this those tires. This is not an sure, Ohio right? State rotating running back. This is not an Alabama rotating running back. This is a guy that had 20-plus carries, if not more, every single I, I, week. Kevin, I think the thing about running backs in general that you have to be cautious of is the fact that when they fall off the cliff, it's over, right? So that's why I'm saying, like, you, I think you almost want this to be contract drama. I know that's kind of silly, and, you know, people say, these are millionaires, figure it out. And you don't want to air this dirty laundry publicly. But if this is really an ankle thing that's lasting six months, because think back to last fall. We touched a little bit on this yesterday. I can recall a couple of games last year, Jake, where you and I sat here on a Thursday. You and I sat here on a Friday. We made predictions for the Colts game. And the thought was Jonathan Taylor was going to play in the game. Right. And then all of a sudden, 
something happened late in the week to where, by all accounts, Taylor kind of pulled the reins back on him playing. Is this a complicated ankle situation? I'm not saying that it is like Shaquille Leonard, but again, remember, Leonard in 2021, it started with ankle, and it turned into, you know, it just, six plus months for something that I think a lot of people in the medical field would call as more six weeks is interesting to me. I think it's equally interesting that he would be undergoing a physical while the general manager of the team is addressing the media saying he doesn't anticipate anybody else having a problem with their physical. Right? Yeah. Um, some of this is why yesterday on the show I tried to harp on it just smells weird. Yeah. It smells like that manure that we were smelling. Yeah, I didn't smell the manure yesterday as bad. It wasn't as bad yesterday. It was like an opening, and I have a very good scent. Opening day, Welcome. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, they were uh, somebody was farming or tilling and and, and mulching some stuff up, uh, and it definitely was you know an aroma, and then that kind of went away. Uh, we'll be at the state fair tomorrow, and coming up here on the pop quiz, we'll give away a four pack to the state fair. We've been doing that all week long. We'll do it here for the next couple of weeks. So go ahead, hop on the phone lines three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Again, pop quiz four pack to the state fair. We will play the Dwight Freeney interview coming up to round out things post-pop quiz. For now, though, morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, I'm so glad Mark isn't here to play the Reds audio. <laughs> yeah, well, I got news for you. The Brewers. Uh, so you got to wear a Brewers t-shirt, is that right? Brewers t-shirt. I owe, what should I buy, Joel Erickson? I owe him a six-pack of beer. Oh, I mean, you got to go with. Uh, he is a Milwaukee native. Yeah, but you got to go with time the Cincinnati beer. Country, go a little Rheingeist with yeah, him. Yeah, I'd go Rheingeist. Okay. I mean, if you really wanted to go Fall City, you could, but uh, I'd go with Rheingeist. A little Make truth action for him. Okay. Yeah, that works. That works. Uh, Red legs yesterday losing to the Milwaukee Brewers three nothing in Major League Baseball. Cardinals over the Diamondbacks eleven seven. It was Pittsburgh over the Padres three two. Cleveland over Kansas City eight three. Twins losers to the Mariners, 8-7. Angels and Tigers were rained out. Rangers over the Astros, 13-5. Cubs over the White Sox, 10-7. Battle of New York, Yankees went at 3-1 over the Mets. Phillies, 6-4 over the cute fellow Baltimore Orioles. And the Indianapolis Indians, 6-5 winners over the Louisville Bats. Uh, last night, Matty Bone was pretty fired up watching the U.S. women's national team. They did go down... Uh, 1-0 early to the Netherlands. That was their first time facing a deficit in 17 straight World Cup games. But Lindsey Horan, who was pretty fired up after an aggressive tackle from one of her club teammates from the Netherlands, uh, she headed in a goal in the second half to tie it up at 1-1. The U.S. had some chances, certainly, to try and win that game, but it ended in a tie. So what that means is this. The U.S. will face Portugal early Tuesday morning if they win or tie, which it sounds like Portugal is not at the level of the Netherlands. Uh, They will advance out of their group into the knockout stage, which once you get into that, it's win or go home. You go into penalty kicks, all of those sorts of things. So a rare tie on the World Cup stage for the U.S. women yesterday against the Netherlands in a rematch of the final from the previous World Cup. 
Uh, Colts camp out at Grand Park today. Quiet. No practice today for the Colts. They will resume practice. And then uh, we will be back out there on Monday and Tuesday for the morning practices, correct? Correct. And a busy week next week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday from Colts camp. All right, it is time for the pop quiz. Again, a four-pack of tickets coming up to the State Fair. Uh, Hop on the phone lines right now, 317-239-1070. Pop quiz is next. Pop quiz time. Scotty, I'm looking at it and... I don't know. Strikes me as a little bit easier than the past few days. You've had some outrageous baseball questions lately. Outrageous. But here we got variety. Am I seeing soccer and golf on today's pop quiz? Gosh, you talk about a forgotten player. Marlon Mack, Jake. He tore tears Achilles in the opener. Is he out of the league? He went to where? And then... I thought he was in Houston, Tennessee, too, for, that's right. for a brief stop. You think he's done? You think he's – is he not on a 90-man roster? N- nobody jumps out at me as as where he would be right now. Yeah, I, I think he's probably done. He was a nice player, though. But, again, I mean, what are we talking about, right? As soon as, as, soon as an injury sets in on a running back, it's tough. Marlon Mack spent time last year, Houston, San Francisco, Jordan and Wilkins Denver. is a pretty forgotten player, too. Yeah. Tennessee, I think, has been really popular from where Wilkins is. Vic Ballard, been. pretty forgotten. Vic Ballard as well. How about Jonathan Williams? Vic Ballard. Remember the corkscrew, the Fosbury flop yeah. he had oh, yeah. into the end zone? Yeah, oh yeah. Down there in Nashville during that wild 2012 season that had seemingly comeback after comeback. Uh, all right, let's see if we'll need to come back here on the pop quiz. Uh, Jake, in number one through eight. Uh, four. Graham, who we got? We have Brian. Brian. What's up, Brian? Brian, you got us? I think so. Morning, fellas. Hey, morning, Brian. How are you? You sound happy. Uh, well, I got through to, I got through to the quiz again. That's always a good start to the day. Brian, are you a coffee drinker? Is it obvious? <laughs> <laughs> Brian's showing uh, his cards early on this. Uh, you've you've obviously called the program before, Brian. Is that right? I have. Uh, would you like to give us a factoid about yourself to refresh my memory? Um, you, let's see, I got Alex Pillow when you were giving out random driver numbers. Man, you were, uh, you were pumped about that, weren't you? Yeah, I was feeling real good about it, but, uh, uh, well, that didn't exactly work out, but, uh, that's all right. Now, Brian, what line of work are you in? I'm a service technician for a local fire protection contractor. Okay, fair hmm. enough. Um, would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off with question number one or for Kevin to start you off this morning? We'll go with Jake. All right, here we go. Question number one for you. Jonathan Taylor has been the Colts' leading rusher for each of the past three seasons, Brian. Name the last player, not named Jonathan Taylor, to be the Colts' season leader in rushing. Is it Jordan Wilkins, Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines, or Frank Gore? Marlon Mack. Okay. Yep. Claude said that uh, Marlon Mack is in town coaching his son's Little League team. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Thank you for that, Claude. Uh, okay, number two here for Brian. Atlanta Braves uh, shortstop, or excuse me, starter. Spencer Strider struck out 10 Red Sox last night in Boston. Strider has struck out 199 batters this season, the third most by a player under the age of 25 before August in Major League Baseball history. Dear Lord, Scotty. 
who holds the record for the most strikeouts in a season by a player under 25 years old before August 1st? Brian, I will give you this Brian, hint. Brian, if you need a shotgun coffee right now after hearing that, feel free. The, a better way to say it. Which of these four pitchers used to have three dimes in his pocket because he claimed he was going to win 30 games in a season? Roger Clemens, Dwight Gooden, Walter Johnson, Vita Blue. Gooden. All right. Question number three. Speaking of the number 30. Happy 30th birthday to Jordan Spieth. He's won 13 PGA Tour events in his career, three of the four major tournaments. Name the major that Spieth has yet to win. Masters, U.S. Open, PGA, or the Open? Mm. Probably the, the Open. Probably the one you'd like to win the least of the four. Really? I think so. The PGA. You say PGA, Brian? Yes. Yeah, right. PGA, okay. Um, all right, number four here. The U.S. women's national soccer team tied the Netherlands 1-1 in the Women's World Cup play yesterday. The Netherlands took a 1-0 lead in the first half, marking the first time in 12 years the U.S. women have trailed in a World Cup match. Name the last team, who I believe their best player was named Marta, uh, to hold a lead over the U.S. in the Women's World Cup. Was it A, Brazil, B, Sweden, C, Japan, or D, Germany? Brazil. Last question for you. Brian, 40 years ago today, this future Hall of Fame pitcher became the third in Major League Baseball history to record 3,500 career strikeouts, 3,470 of which involved uh, artificial substances on the baseball. Was it Tom Sievert, Gaylord Perry, Don Sutton, or Ferguson Jenkins? Ooh. Can you read his names one more time? Tom Sievert, Gaylord, Perry, Don Sutton, or Fergie Jenkins? I'll go with Seaver just because I'm not their names. Okay. Seaver? Yep. All right. All right, let's see how Brian did here. Um, in typical, probably pop quiz fashion, it was just the baseball questions, which, you know, when they're nine paragraphs and under the age of 25 <laughs> before Earth Day and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Marlon Mack was correct, right, Jake? Marla Mack was indeed the correct answer. 1,091 yards in 2019. Uh, he got the PGA Championship right for Spieth. He knew Brazil very quickly. The 2011 quarterfinals, the last team to beat the U or to have a lead against the U.S. Yeah, in the World Cup. Run, they waxed them, right? Oh, jeez. Okay. Um, Vita Blue, by the way, 1971, Vita Blue had 219 what did you say, outs. three dimes in his? Vita Blue, uh, I don't know if Scotty knew this or not. Stay on the line, Brian. Thank you. Early in Vita Blue's career, I mean, he he, he was shot out of a cannon in his career. And back then, winning 30 games was a big deal. He and Denny McLean were both guys that were battling to win, to become a 30-game winner. And Vita Blue said that he would put three dimes in his uniform, in the pocket of his uniform, because he was going to win 30 games, to remind him to win 30 games, which he never did do, actually. Um, Gaylord Perry was correct for question number five. I think he said Seaver, but Gaylord Perry, who had the best spitball, grease ball, whatever you want to call it, um, that dude had like he was he had more petroleum jelly all over him than anybody. But I feel like Gaylord Perry sounds like an act you should see at the state fair. Is <laughs> <laughs> so he gonna be next to us at the dairy bar tomorrow? <laughs> That's right. Well, probably a lot of guys that 
Don Sutton is another one that looked like he could be a state fair guy. Big afro walking around, big white afro. We'll be at the Great fair hair. tomorrow. Jake and I doing the show there. It is opening day, and as we just did there with Brian, and we'll continue to do all week long, we will, and next week, and I believe the week after that, give away four packs to the state fair. All right, if you missed it, Dwight Freeney joined us. Uh, he, we will re-rack that one coming up on the other side. Kevin Aquari here on a Thursday. You will be hearing more about this coming up in the next, I would imagine, couple of weeks. But Dwight Freeney was back in Indiana yesterday. He's living in South Florida now because he has a new team, if you will, the Indiana Donor Network and Donate Life Indiana. You hear them involved with a lot of things JMV does on the music side of things here at this radio station. But Freeney was here yesterday, so I thought what better thing to do than to catch up with and sit down with Dwight Freeney to talk not only about his career as a Colt, but the current state of the Colts. And here is that conversation. You know, there are several times on this show where I have realized I'm old. And one of those was when I was on my way in and I realized, you know, it was yesterday that I was editing tape of this guy from Syracuse the Colts had drafted. And everybody's like, wait a minute, the experts all say he's too small. And and then he turns out to be this prolific spin move sacker and I realized that was over 20 years ago and Dwight Freeney who is that guy joins me here in studio to talk about that and a lot more first off Dwight is always good to see you back you look like you could play tomorrow yeah man appreciate you having me back I, I got about one play for you it's called, <laughs> called a hamstring all right and, 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 a, and a bum knee so you have you've been out for what six years now yeah okay so let's go back to this this time of year I mean it's a perfect time to talk to you because you know, up in Grand Park in Westfield, there are 50, 75, 80 guys all with the same dream of making it in the NFL. What is the mindset for an NFL player of this week, of when training camp begins, whether you are a rookie or whether you are an established veteran? What was your mindset? I think it's different for all those different categories that you named. If you're a rookie, all right, you have a tremendous amount of anxiety. Because you don't know what you're walking into. You have a tremendous amount of stress because you don't know what you're walking into. Um, but you have a lot of like energy and just like you want to win the Super Bowl, get a four sack game all in one training camp day um, just because your adrenaline is pumping like that. So I think for that rookie whose eyes are going to be wide and he's going to be so excited that he gets an opportunity to make a NFL team and hopefully eventually do something great in this league. It's a, it's a lot going on there. If you're, if you're a veteran, it's more like, okay, let's get back on this bike and make sure that my workout in the off season, it, you know, it, it did me right. Make sure that I know what we're doing this year, this season, and move on through that one day at a time. You know, it's interesting because the Colts are in a position right now that really you never experienced. I'm in a rebuild, so to speak. Yeah. You know, you, you obviously were on great teams here. How much do you pay attention to them? How much do you follow where they are and what they're trying to do? I fo- I follow. Uh, I followed more. Um, I think. Last year a little bit because it was one of our former teammates, Jeff Saturday at the helm, and um, I just wanted to see him succeed. Um, but I, I'm constantly checking in on the Colts. 
obviously that is you know the second home the the team that i identify with the most um and it's like an extended family all those guys that are there and still there in the building um so i'm always rooting the coats on and i i always pay attention to a certain extent when you look back on your tenure here you know obviously you won a super bowl you know you you, you were a part of two super bowl teams you were on great teams some of which you know, I mean, obviously, there's the discussion that can go on forever about pulling the starters and missing out on an undefeated season and all those things. When you look back on your time as a Colt, do you focus more on the things you accomplished or the things that were misses? Well, that's a good question. I I think it 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 kind of varies, man. It's just it's just one of those things where when you see any team, sports team, win a championship, which happens every year every season, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, it automatically brings you back to your moment of when you won. All right. And I think that's more for me, that feeling that I feel more because I feel that I, 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 I I just go back like a time machine in that moment when I see those guys crying or hugging other teammates. So you you feel that exact, I feel that moment happen again, which is priceless for me. You know, it's absolutely probably that just you get that little shining light that just comes back um, that will never be taken from me. Now, there are other things that I think about, you know, all the years that we felt like this was the year. OK, you know, arguably the one of the best teams we had was in 2005. I think most people, most guys I've talked to feel that was the you're talking about the steel, the Steeler year, right? Yes. Most people feel that was the one that year. We we were, uh, I mean, from all phases, we felt like there was no team out there that can stop us. Um, and unfortunately, maybe it was the break. Maybe it was that first round by. Maybe it was that momentum. Uh, maybe it was resting players. Whatever it was, it stopped the mojo just enough to where is though we lose that game. When, when you're a great player, Dwight Freeney's our guest, when you're a great player or you're on a great team and all of a sudden you find yourself in that situation, did you almost start playing against yourself in that game with Pittsburgh? In other words, were you like a fan where you're looking at the clock like this isn't really happening, right? Well, I think you're, you, as a player, you have tunnel vision. I think you live in each individual moment as it happens, you know, you don't want to look too far back and you don't want to look too far in the future. Um, and I can tell you that that's from a defensive perspective. It was always every play. It mattered. It it, it wasn't even more. It wasn't more stress. It, it wasn't like, oh, I really have to get to the quarterback now. I always have to really get to the quarterback and it always have to make the play. That was the mentality. Um, that game until it was over. It was kind of in our minds, we have to win this game and we can win this game. And we missed the field goal to win the game. You know, so there was no moment where we had anxiety or stress in from from my perspective to where as though I didn't think we weren't going to win this game. I felt like every single moment we were going to win this game somehow, some way. And we didn't. You know, you are an interesting case because you know, you're the best defensive end. Well, you were Robert. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we could probably sit here in Boardwalk and Park Place that until the cows mm-hmm. come home. But 
in the Indianapolis Colts era, certainly one of two, if not the best defensive end that's played here. And the spin move was so much of that. I think we live in a world, Dwight, today where people are specifying their kids' athletics. What was your favorite sport growing up? I I loved it all. And, because and you played three or I, four, right? I, I loved them all, and I really mean that. And I don't know if I, I can say football was my favorite. I played football with the guys in the backyard or in front of the street, just kind of just doing our thing. All right, two hand touch, sideline crack, whatever you want to call it. That's what we did from a football perspective. Loved the game, but never played organized football really until I was in high school. All right, but it didn't take away from the love of the game. I cried when Lawrence Taylor retired. I was a huge Giants fan. I loved basketball. I was a big Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls fan. I loved the Mets, still have a Mets hat on. I was a big Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry fan growing up. I loved all sports. So, for like with my buddies, for example, we would play backyard sports depending on the season. In the summertime, we're playing home run derby all summer. In the in the fall, we're playing backyard football with a Nerf football, and and then in the winter time, we're going to an open gym somewhere. Same thing for you, I assume, right? A- absolutely, and and I always tell parents, you know, now um, because it, it kind of they put these kids in just one sport. And they that's where they focus on and say, you're going to be a baseball player and that's it, or a football player and that's it. But for me, I learned so much from being in different sports, certain sports that you know, you may think had nothing to do with football, you know, maybe hand-eye coordination. Like, could soccer. your spin move have been born in a different sport? Well, it actually was born in another sport. My spin move was born on the basketball court. I was a big and one mixtape guy back in the day. I used to love it. And, it, and when you watch the and one mixtapes, it was guys doing exotic moves on the basketball court, going through your legs and traveling 99% So you were skipped to Malou, is what you're yeah, saying, Yeah, I was right? skipped to my And I was going out doing my thing, you know, as a basketball player back in the day. And it happened to be on a football field where I'm next to one of my um, teammates and we're going through practice. And I said, you know what? I want to try to do the craziest way to get to the to the quarterback. Just something that just completely makes the offensive tackle just fall all over himself. No different than a killer crossover, crazy move on the basketball court. So I end up adopting certain things and saying, well, hmm, maybe I can flip. No, I can't flip. How about a spin? And I started spinning and making the offensive tackle just fall all over himself and couldn't block me. So it was probably the best way I can make him look as silly as possible blocking me. That's where it started on the football field, but it actually really started from watching basketball being a basketball player and knowing what that whole life was about. And no one could figure it out. I mean, your entire career, no one figured out how to to guard it. Yeah, well, I think it was, first of all, no one was doing it, okay? It wasn't like I learned it somewhere. It isn't like I watched film and said, oh, I want to do this move. This is something that was unique to me, authentic to me, organic to me. So I went out, and it was natural, okay? So therefore, for me to do something natural like that, from since high school going all the way into the pros... And the pro guys never saw the move, all right? And they're like, how do we block this move? Because that was taught never to turn your back to the quarterback. It was outlawed as something that you should never do unless you get stuck. 
And if you get stuck, then you kind of like you know, maybe you counter back and and try to spin off a guy. But it wasn't used as a primary move the way that I've used it. Now I see it all over the place where I know I can smile. I know I left my name on the game. Yeah, now it's called the Dwight Freeney, yeah, not the Skip yeah, Malou, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. hopefully, man. But you know, for me, it's I know I left my mark on the game, but I knew how it evolved. At every year, I try to do different types of versions of it. And it would be all predicated on what the offensive tackle was doing and how and predicated on speed around the corner. And when I got older and when I couldn't have the, I didn't have the same type of speed, I would it would be based on power. You had a situation in your playing career. Uh, I think it was the first time I ever heard, I never know if it's Liz Frank or Liz Frock. Yep. Uh, I thought it was a girl I went to high school with. Right? <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, it's it's obviously the foot injury. You had it, yep. you went through it. Um, what is the, if you had to guess, based on your experience, psychologically, what is Shaquille Leonard going through right now? To try to, when you know that a defense counts on you and you want to be on the field and people are counting on you and you're, it's a waiting game. It's tough, um, especially for a player like him if he was anything like me. I wanted to play. I wanted to be a part of this team, and I always wanted to be out in that field, no matter whether it be practice or what have you, because I knew I was an important part of the team, but I just loved it that much. All right. But the thing is, you can't go out there too soon. If you go out there too soon, you're going to end up hurting yourself again, or you're going to put a bad representation of yourself out there, who, what isn't you, and you're going to be very frustrated with yourself. So it's a patient game that you have to wait, and wait until things heal up correctly to where you truly feel yourself, all right? And that's different for every guy, and, and every injury is different. Former Colt you talk to the most often? Hmm. I would say... Raheem Brock. Really? Raheem Brock was underrated a, player, by the way. Very underrated. He was a versatile guy who could play D tackle and defensive end um, and did everything that, you know, anyone wanted him to do. Guy in your locker room that was kind of more of the leader than people would anticipate. People would obviously say, oh, well, Peyton Manning or Jeff Saturday, but the, the guy that you're like, you know what? That guy was a huge part of what we did. I think um, Tariq Glenn was huge. I think Tariq Glenn was a big leader on the offensive line. He was a he was a quiet leader. Um, Reggie Wayne was also a, a big leader, you know, from the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, there was a lot of guys out there. Bob Sanders was a leader, uh, uh, you know, and and even even you got guys like Gary Bracker, who was a captain uh, of our defense uh, so many years. So there's a lot of guys, you know, that were big time leaders. Okay, last couple things. Uh, do you talk to Bob Sanders because he's like the world's greatest enigma? Yeah, I hadn't seen him. I only time I see him. Last time I saw him was when I got the ring and went right. to the ring of honor. He is, but I know he's somewhere in California, and I know he's trying to work on his golf game. That's why. That's why I heard. Okay, so and I under you were a pretty good golfer, if I'm not mistaken. You golfed a fair amount when you were here, but you are now. Let's get caught up on Dwight Freeney today. Uh, you're in Southern Florida. I can't blame that at all. Um, I would imagine you get up every day, you walk around the beach, you like maybe fish a little bit of golf, and then like eat fruity pebbles and watch TV. Although you look like you could play football. <laughs> is life good? Life is good, man. I'm enjoying it. I'm spending a tremendous amount of time on that second chapter of my life, which for me is taking care of my family and taking care of my two little girls. And, and they're you know, how old? And I have one that's two and a half, and I got one that's about three months. And it's absolutely awesome. It, it doesn't matter how bad my day has been and my day, you know, how bad can it be hitting a, you know, but if you're competitive like me when you hit, 
golf balls into the water multiple times, and you're like, why is this ball not going where I wanted to go? You, get, you can be kind of pissed when you come home. But when you walk through that door, and you have your little daughter just screaming your name, and daddy's here, it changes everything. Just remember, when you're playing tag one day, and they spin to get away from you, <laughs> karma's a B, right? Absolutely. Hey, Dwight, it's always good seeing you, man. Appreciate it, and um, enjoy the hitting them straight, and enjoy the sun down in Florida. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Jake, always enjoy um, hearing the Dwight Freeney conversations. You know, it's not like he seeks out the public media limelight a whole lot. I think he's outstanding when he's behind a mic. And uh, enjoy that conversation. Nice work with that. Yeah, he's a um, super nice guy, obviously. And, you know, that was a great era. It's, it, it's, it is surreal for me, and I have to remind myself this regularly, Kevin, that that era is over with. I mean, that that's... And, you know, to a lot of Colts fans, they might not even know of that era because it was... A dozen you know, years ago at this point, right? Right. And that's crazy to think. I mean, to, to think that their Super Bowl win was 17 years ago is, I mean, startling in hindsight because it seems like yesterday to me. But, um, you know, and a lot of those guys look, they're in really good shape. Um, they take care of themselves and good guys, which is probably part of the reason that they won so many games. I know we had a lot of focus on Jonathan Taylor and the public playing out of this contract situation throughout the show today. So if you missed that, that'll certainly be up on the podcast. We'll make sure that Graham throws in uh, one of our segments focusing on that, on, on the best of for today. Uh, obviously, along with the Dwight Freeney and James Boyd interviews. Uh, just a reminder, no practice today for the Colts. We didn't have a ton of time to kind of focus on takeaways from yesterday, but I would say a couple. Uh, one, Gardner Minshew took every starting rep. Uh, Anthony Richardson's nine reps yesterday were all at the second unit. Shane Steichen said after practice that there will be some interchanging with the ones and the twos, and guys will kind of flip-flop throughout camp. So, um, you know, we'll continue to monitor that on a daily basis. And then I almost feel bad for Shaquille Leonard, Jake, because it seems like the Taylor storyline has dominated the news cycle for right. the Colts in the last 24 hours when, you know, what Leonard did yesterday to me, again, I was stunned. I was stunned by the amount of work. I'm not saying here acting like he looked like some all-pro out there on the field, but just the quantity of reps. He did individual. He did seven-on-seven. Seven, he did a half-dozen team reps. I did not expect that. I mean, hell, I didn't expect that yesterday at 9.56, Jake. To be honest with you, maybe that's the best news for Shaquille Leonard. You know what I mean? To oh, be easily. able to get out there and work out without a lot of fanfare or attention. I mean, I shouldn't say that because there's always going to be that, but with the focus elsewhere. You know, and, and this Taylor story is going to be one that we're going to be talking about for a while. And think back to day ones each of the last two years. Last year, he's on the pup list. He ends up missing an entire month. Does not come off that until August 30th. And... We know what happened. Played three games, back surgery in November. The year before that, he misses the first 10 practices due to the start of this ankle-back issue. Um, So clearly, this start to camp in a much better spot for Shaquille Leonard. We'll see how things play out from here. Again, tomorrow we are out at the State Fair. It is opening day. Stop by the Dairy Bar. Say hello to us. We'll be doing our show from out there. Looking forward to that. Everybody stay cool as best you can today. Kevin and Corey, signing off.